short order after that. Eloy Jimenez with another mighty blast. This one the other way. An opposite field homer. And for Jimenez, his second of the night. Boy, there is no better feeling for White Sox fans than coming here across town and putting their feet up on the furniture. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. It's time for the Tainted Glove, starring your favorite man of questionable character, Aloha Mr. Han. Hey, bud. <laughs> Let's party. And the Holy Reverend, Kate Fids himself. It's go time, so grab a beer, grab a bite, and settle in. It's time for the Tainted Glove. Aloha. It's your favorite friend with questionable character, Aloha Mr. Han. Welcome to the... August 8th edition of the Tainted Glove podcast. We are recording this during the Cubs and White Sox showdown on Sunday Night Baseball on ABC, not ESPN this week because ESPN chose to show the National Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony. As always with me is my partner in crime, the one and only Reverend K. Fids. And K. Fids, take it away. Yeah, big game. First of the first of the two uh, crosstown series uh, games, all scheduled for August. So they decided to schedule the Cubs and the Sox immediately the weekend after they knew the Cubs would be fire selling and uh, helping the White Sox out. Very very nice of Major League Baseball to give that freebie weekend to the White Sox and their fans. So congratulations, Major League Baseball handed this one to you on a silver platter. No, kidding. Of course, obviously, we all knew the Cubs were going to be competitive all year. They they made some offseason moves that showed they were they were really trying, like trading you Darvish or, you know, thinking Zach Davies was a major league pitcher that was worthy of you know being a replacement of someone of you Darvish's caliber, or you know trading your backup catcher or, yeah, putting together a team full of one eighty hitters. So that's, oh wait, no, that's the Cubs not trying, isn't it? Okay, never mind. But we were told ownership told us that they weren't going to be. That's, now, now, be nice. You know, if they weren't trying, they would put together a team of 150 hitters. So give them credit for trying to put something out there. They did. They put a player at all nine positions. What else can you ask for from this Cubs ownership? Has always been forthcoming and honest with fans and players alike. But but again, you have Patrick Wisdom and David Bodie out there. I thought they were the future. I heard people saying, get rid of Chris Bryant so David Bodie can play. (laughs) You know, I mean, you got these guys out there. What are you squawking about? True, true. Now, I, I will not slander wisdom. David Bodie is a backup, and he's a backup for a reason. But Cubs fans, yeah, I mean, everyone thought that. So with this game going on, obviously, this series has been – the first game was the only game that was really seemed winnable for the Cubs. It was Hendricks versus uh, – um, who was it? Who was your starting – was it on Friday? Lynn, the, Lynn, Lynn, Lance Lynn. Friday. Lynn. Yeah, duh, Lance Lynn. And it was a close one, extra innings. Um, the Cubs, you know, put up three off of Craig Kimbrell in the in the in the in the what bottom of the eighth on a three run jack to uh, it was, which was funny because he had only given up two runs all year, earned runs all year for the Cubs, and in one swing he gave up more than he's given up with the Cubs in a whole season in one with one pitch. So that tied up, of course, go right to extra innings, and of course, typical of the Cubs and how the Cubs have been like for the last couple of years really with this group. One bad thing happens, they give up a, a first pitch, first or second pitch to Goodwin in the extra inning. It was a, a homer to left, um, and then the wheels come off. Um, and yeah. they ended up putting up a four spot, like base hit, base hit, base hit, double, bam. And this is what happens with – it's been happening under David Ross a lot this season. 
and it happened a lot last couple seasons. The wheels come off in most the most incredible fashion. And this has been the last two years specifically under David Ross. Uh, you know, you blow a lead in the top of the uh, 10th. One run's no big deal, but the wheels come off like they do. I've never seen it. It's so bad. It, I called it. I'm like, oh, here comes over. Don't worry. This ain't it. They'll probably put up five. I thought they were going to put up five, and they ended up putting up four. And this is before. This is with the bases empty, by the way. You knew it was coming because that's what they do. And under David Ross, this team melts down. The wheels come off so bad. Like, there's no, hey, we gave up one run. Let's get back to it, and maybe we'll get it back. It's, oh, we gave up one run. Now, brain fart from the pitcher. Base it, base it. Error. Walk. Double. And then next thing you know, it's like a five-run deficit, and there's no chance of coming back. And the Cubs put up two in the bottom. Meaningless. Throwing strikes, which is what you should do in that situation as a pitcher. Put the ball, you know, put the ball in play until you really got to pitch. Don't pitch. And... So that was game one. That was the closest one. So I had to do my my Zo, my friendly bet with my uh, other podcast, the Penny Wills and Ivy with Father Zoe, Southside Zoe. We have a bet every after every game. Whoever's team loses, they have to do a beer chug. So, so far I have chugged twice this weekend. Uh, after game one, I chugged. And then yesterday I was actually in a movie, which we'll talk about later. So I had to wait. It was a delayed chug, really, because I got the push notice for the Cubs losing yesterday. Yesterday was pretty much a, a no-brainer. Right out of the gate, really. Yeah. It was two to nothing in the first, and there was no chance the Cubs with Rodon on the bump. Carlos Rodon struck out eleven, and that Cubs offense wasn't touching a baseball. So two runs was enough. So the game was over in the first. This game was pretty much over in the first with Eloy's two run jack, and then Vaughn. Oh, it was it was TA leading off first pitch. That's right. With first the jack, pitch, Sox are up one nothing, and then yeah. you got the Eloy two run Oppos- and an Apo jack too. By the way. It's just it's, so this. There's two games that this has been over from the start, you know, and it's seven to three right now in, in game three. But I've seen this show before. I don't see the I I don't see the Cubs coming back in this one. But well, obviously during this podcast, we're going to go through the running of emotions. You know, this is where the White Sox usually should with the Cubs bullpen put up like four or five more. Um, they're already one run from the over, which was a uh, ten. And actually, I was shocked today. The White Sox were only getting minus one eighty. Man, that's a it's a pretty value bet for a better. It should not have been. It should have been like minus two twenty at least with with these two I, teams. I think that's because Cease was pitching and he's so freaking helter skelter. You know, for example, thirty one pitches in the second inning. You have a seven run lead. He's at 74, 75 pitches through three and two thirds innings right now. That's not going to cut it. Yes, no, absolutely not. That's one of my. My giant frustrations. This guy will come, you know, the guy's somewhat of a bump slayer. You know, he he shoves against teams like the Tigers and the Royals, but it seems like when he's out of his element, aka home and against the dog team, well, mm-hmm. he, you know, he I don't know if he loses focus. I don't know if he shits himself. I don't know. But it seems like this always happens. You're sitting here going, you have a seven run lead. There's no excuse to walk anybody. There's no reason to walk anybody. Challenge the hitter. If they get a hit, fine. But don't give them three passes. Mm-hmm. That's a mental that's, thing to me. That tells that's a mental that's a mental issue. A hundred percent. That's not a that's not a fundamental issue or an arm issue. That is a head issue. That muscle in between his ears is number one. The number one problem with Dylan Cease, and I've seen it enough to watch him with you know just with you guys too as Sox fans. Every Cease start seems to have a an inning where some sort of incident leads to a larger, more catastrophic result, whether it's an error or a blooper or a questionable call. And next thing and then you know, a meltdown. yeah, next thing you know, melt. You know, it, it becomes that the wheels come off. I mean, 
you know, Katz is still trying to, I'm sure Katz is trying to figure out as the pitching coach, trying to figure out what exactly, I mean, here, I'll, I can use a really good example. Uh, new White Sox draft pick Tanner McDougal taken in the fifth round this year. One of my guys, Tanner as a sophomore um, struggled a ton with um, the We're uh, through four end of the four. Yep. Through four. Now Tanner struggled with uh, focus with two outs. So his sophomore year, he'd get the first two outs, and then it was almost like he would let up or he would lose focus, and he would get, it would be a walk. And then he'd go full with somebody, and they'll maybe battle, and then a blooper. And the next thing you know, double. And it's like it, the wheels would – it was – but it all started with two outs. And so for us, you know, I, my biggest thing, I think the hardest thing that I focused with Tanner a ton, um, in the summer even – because in the summer we were playing Legion rules, so you get one meeting. You get a one, what you can actually go one visit per inning because it's American League rules. So you're allowed to get this is obviously the older, like they, Legion still follows kind of like that idea where you can go once at one at a time or whatever. So I would just be like, okay, there's two outs. We're up three. We haven't really had any mound meetings. Let's go make sure we go get to a big spot. We got the top of the order coming up real quick. Give me a second. I'll go out there. And with two outs, for no reason, there's no trouble. There's no two outs, nobody on. I'd go talk to Tanner and I'd walk out. I go, what are we thinking about right now? Two out focus. Yep, two out focus. So take your walk. So you'll see this with Tanner as he gets a little bit older, as you guys start seeing him pitch. When he gets two outs, Tanner will take an extra stroll behind the bump to remind himself that I need to regain that two. I need to continue to really, really force and um, emphasize focus with two outs. And so him and I have had that private conversation a billion times, not to mention, obviously, he's had some Jose Loza, his dad, obviously, some of the people that he's worked with pitching-wise has been some of the best in Vegas. You know, I'll say Jose Loza is the best in Vegas, period. So he's had the best pitching coach in Las Vegas and the weirdest one helping out on occasion uh, from the dugout as well because obviously Coach Loza taught at a different school. He wasn't getting to baseball practice till four every day because he teaches at an elementary or middle school. So some of these guys were throwing their pens, and it was just I, me and uh, Lucas, one of our other guys, would go and just handle it. So I, I'd handle the varsity guys. And so another thing with just Tanner and, and knowing Tanner. So that's something that coaches focus on. And so Dylan Cease has some sort of, you, you, when you see what he does, you have to almost get a feel for it. It's like uh, you Darvish. You Darvish had a tendency a couple of years ago where. Jose, you, Jose Quintana as well. Yeah. Jose Quintana was notorious for that. He'd get through the first two outs with like six pitches mm -hmm. and he'd look dominant. Then you'd look up and the inning would be over. They'd be down two nothing, and he'd had thrown thirty pitches. And it happens fast. It happens so fast. Yes, and that's what Katz has got to do. That's what a pitching coach has got to do: is learn the tells, learn to know the familiar situations. I've seen this before. This is repetitive. This is this is this is the muscle memory of failure. Quick, time to go talk. You got to know almost when to run out there. Sometimes it's not; it's false alarm. But it's always better safe than sorry to always kind of nip it in the butt early. And always be aware of it so that the pitcher's aware of it. And Tanner became self-aware. Tanner, you don't have to tell Tanner two, two outs now. Tanner knows. Tanner's fully aware. He's self-aware. Dylan Cease needs to get to the point where he's self-aware in tough spots. Take an extra walk around the bump and resettle and re clear that mechanism and then get back to work. Any pitcher's got to do that, whatever level you're at, man. If you're, you know, you've, you've got to be able to read, read their body language, read their stuff, and just read their location, obviously, too. If you're all of a sudden can't hit the water if you fill out of a boat, you know that there's some sort of, I mean, if they're missing big, got to go talk. So he's just, he's an enigma to me still though. I mean, Rodon on the other hand, we've talked about it on here. Everyone was worried about dead arm. <laughs> no, it's August. It's the dog days of August. You throw through it. Yesterday showed he had 11 strikeouts and five innings pitched. He was dominant. So anybody that had a worry about dead arm, 
easy. It's just August. Everybody's tired. They're all sore. Why is it the dog days of August? Because everybody's body is barking. Well, and, and I have to give, and I know this will be controversial. Uh-oh. Who just, Eloy with another Jack. <laughs> See, I told you that bullpen's going to give it all back. No rush. And You're a little bit ahead Sox, of me, by the way, so I haven't seen it yet. You're, you're telling yeah. me this from the future. And a Sox fan caught the ball in the bleachers and is celebrating. Oh, man. It's dead center and then opposite field, too. <laughs> yes. He's starting to wake up. This is such a good sight. I felt that he, I thought, honestly, Eloy would struggle for a couple of weeks after coming back, just, just for the timing of it. You know, it's not that he, it's not that, you know, he, he's going to be permanently damaged, mind you, but just getting the timing down because triple A, double A pitching is not major league pitching. There's a reason there's pitchers in double and triple A versus being up in the majors. Mm -hmm. And I just felt he needed to get, real world experience and vision and sight and seeing those pitches. It's like Dick Allen used to bunny tail, talk about bunny tail alert. His bunny tail was out. It's a good luck charm. I've said that on the show before he had a bunny tail Homer. Hell yeah. Bunny tails and, when and your back fun- pocket's sticking out and you don't tell the guy that's got the bunny tail, you let him go hit yeah. bunny tails are good luck. Yeah. Someone was smart enough to not tell him to tuck that shit back in. It probably is a Jose who told him to leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funniest thing is it was a tweet after he hit the first home run, after he hit the home run in the first inning from Layla Rahimi, who said she knew he was going to have a good game because the, his performance is in direct relation to the number of buttons unbuttoned on his jersey. That's funny. So the more, but, more buttons unbuttoned, the better the performance. <laughs> well, and here's the funny but, part. Like, you're like, Eloy, good job. You're getting hit. I have no effing clue who some of these dead bags the Cubs are rolling out there from their bullpen are now. I'm like, Rucker? Who the who the hell is Rucker? Like, who are they? Rucker? This guy looks like he just got, like, oh. they just hired him from, like, he, they're like, hey, bro, what are you doing today? They go down to, like, the uh, the auto parts store. Hey, Rucker, man, you want, you want to go pitch today? He looks like a dude yeah. they just pulled out of, like, a, an auto shop. And they're like, hey, come, come, come on down here. Yeah, you want to pitch they today? Just showed, they just showed a replay of oh. the swing. And, oh, my God, he knew he got it from the second he connected. Oh, that's a great pitch. A little bit elevated away. He sat back on it and drove it the other way. That's that's manpower right there is yes. how hard hit that baseball in that part of the ballpark in that location. Yes. <sighs> Freak. Yep. Yes. Well, T.A. basically hit one just a little bit to the right of that. Not much. A little mm-hmm. bit to the right. You yeah. know, on the first pitch of the game, but. Now, this is exciting. Yeah. Eloy's starting to heat up. Tomorrow, yes. this White Sox lineup gets another injection, almost like a an August 9th trade. Yes. They get uh, Luis Robert tomorrow. So tell me what you're thinking. What are now, A, what are you thinking about now with that? How do you feel about that kind of, uh, you know, in, jolt back to the lineup? And secondly, who stays, who goes, and what does that lineup look like now with Luis well, Robert coming back to? Well, I think what they'll do is start Robert lower in the lineup to begin with so that he gets him, you know, he gets himself back up to speed. You know, obviously he probably needs to see some major league pitching and may struggle for the first few days getting his timing down. Similar to what Eloy uh, went through because the first couple of days Eloy was back, not good, but you could see he's getting his timing down and he's starting to attack the ball. I think the same thing will happen with Robert. The difference with getting Robert back versus getting Eloy back, your outfield becomes much better defensively because 
yes, you could have Adam Angle out in center, and there's that not that much of a drop off. But you can now move Adam Angle into left as a late inning defensive replacement for Eloy if you choose to play him in the outfield, or have Adam Angle start in left field, and then Vaughn. Vaughn's basically your right fielder next year. And I think he's going to become your right fielder right now. And I will admit, I was skeptical about Vaughn playing the outfield because all you heard about him was advanced hitter, which he's showing, but that he was a first baseman. And that he was either a first baseman or DH, and he didn't have much flexibility in playing other positions. That has been proven so wrong because I think he's done a better job in left field than Eloy would. Mm. And so far in right field, and the rain's starting to fall, by the way. And so far in right field, he's looked pretty good, and he's made a hell of a play today in this game in one of the tougher right fields in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not Fenway Park right field, if you will, which is, you know, when that when that sun hits, man, that place that place can be a challenge and a half. But it's still a challenging right field. It's much more challenging than guaranteed rate. I mean, the only challenge you have in right field is ignoring all the drunken buffoons like me in section 108. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, or or in, in, in the case of when I was at the game, some jackass Cub fan hanging out with a bunch of White Sox fans yelling about a Detroit Tigers right fielder wearing an arm sleeve on his non-throwing arm. That's correct. Sorry. I wonder who I wonder who that was. <laughs> Jeez, I wrote that. That's what we were talking about the other night. I'm like, I wasn't being mean. I wasn't like being like ill spirited or like you suck. You. I was like, why are you wearing an arm sleeve? Are you what? okay? <laughs> Cheesy porn mustache on this guy pitching for the Cubs. I told you they got him from the Auto Depot, man. They were like, hey, bro, Michael Rucker. Yeah, that's like, quite the cheesy '80s porn mustache, '70s like, porn. I mean, mustache. he's literally named after the brother, the the, the bad brother from uh, uh, the guy. He's actually in Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Michael Rooker, right? Is that his name yes. Michael Rooker? Michael yes. Rooker. R- Rooker, Rooker. Close enough. Also, also uh, in uh, Eight Men Out. Yeah, he's Eight Men he, Out. That's right. He's, he's Chick Gandle. He's Chick Gandle. Yep, he's the ring one and of the ringleaders. Yes, and he's one of the attorneys in the movie JFK. Yes, he is. He's part yeah with with Jim Garrison. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he's also yep. uh, he also played Henry Lee Lucas in a movie about the serial killer Henry Henry Lee Lucas, which took yes. place in Chicago. And wasn't he wasn't wasn't he in Cliffhanger with yes, he was. Sylvester Stallone too That's, with yeah. John Lithgow giving the old get yeah. me my money money get me my <laughs> money. I love That's it. a movie I might have to go back and watch. I haven't seen it in at least 20 years. Oh, at yeah. least. My buddies and I always do that. When we're playing poker. The, the John Lithgow impersonation comes out every time. That and obviously the John Malkovich. But it's like, get yeah. me my money. Or pay that oh, man pay his that money. Man his money. Yeah. That, those two are the, always the go-tos for our group on poker night. I will splash yeah. the pot however whenever, I like. No. Or, whenever the fuck <laughs> I want. Ah, uh, Malkovich, Malkovich. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Check, 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 check. He does alligator blood in veins. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, <laughs> so but you're yeah. seeing. So you see with this what's coming out. I mean, the White Sox, uh, our, our Sox fans. I mean, this is the stretch run, and, and with some of these teams too. Like honestly, some of the teams that sold off are worse for the wear now. Yes. The Indians have tapped out. They've waved the white flag. I mean, they traded to the interdivisional team to fill in the yes. one big major offensive and defensive hole at second. I mean, at this point. It's now getting your rotation set. It's getting your best players uh, consistent, healthy, and now getting them closer and closer to that peak at the end to mid to late September where they are at that high point. 
that rolls into October peaking at the right time. You want those guys peaking because mm-hmm. a peak, you figure yeah. a, a good hot peak in major league for major league hitters, about two, two to four to six weeks, depending, you know, so you want to yeah. somewhere, keep it in that window. So now the, it's pushing the right buttons, getting guys reps, keeping everybody sharp. And Tony La Russa finding guys that he knows. Now he's going to be using guys in weird situations. Expect this as fans. He's going to start and using that, guys in, in, in run scoring situations just to see how they maybe yes. react in those. He's going to be testing the water a little bit. He has that flexibility. So please, Sox fans, when you're watching the games, understand this is Tony La Russa time. August, it's September. Big, it's big picture time. It's, this is what he was brought here for. He yeah. owns these months. These months are, it's like Tiger Woods. Red polo on a Sunday when real baseball coaches and managers look across the dugout, across the field, and in the other dugout, and they see Tony La Russa on a first-place team that's quality and talented, and it's August and September heading into October. It's Tiger Woods' red shirt day to all of them. It's, it's terrifying. So understand that there is a marked mental advantage to having the old man in the dugout now. So, But let him push his buttons. He's going to play around a little bit still. Because now at 100%, he needs to see what everybody's role is going to be. And they need to start trimming down the fat so they know. Because, again, 40-man call-up, you're going to get that extended roster in, in September. That just muddies the water even more. So, But the, first, the roster is like, what, 28 now in yeah. September? And and I, I urge fans to remember, don't be surprised to see someone like Carlos Rodan having a start skip. Mm-hmm. Just to rest his arm. Luxury. It part. Right, exactly. You have gotten to a point where you have that luxury. The mistake that the White Sox made last year was they clinched the division on a Thursday at home against the Twins. And then they won one more, two more games in the regular season. They went to Cincinnati and won that Saturday night game against Trevor Bauer, and they won one of the Cubs games. They went to Cleveland and got swept. That's how they went from the number two seed to the number seven seed. Mm -hmm. And Jose Abreu admitted they let up. You cannot let up. That, to me, is the biggest reason why Ricky Renteria was let go. Because they let up and they admitted they let up. This This gives you the opportunity to peak at the right time. And if you don't, if you don't know what a peaking team looks like, we saw one in the city of Chicago. It was called the 2005 Chicago White Sox. The day they clinched the division in Detroit, the day they they clinched it on a Thursday in Detroit because they were headed for the big showdown in Cleveland that weekend to end the season that might decide the division. But the Sox clinched the division in Detroit. Do you know how many games they lost after the day they clinched? that the division in Detroit in 2005. Do you know how many games they lost the rest of the year? Two, maybe? None. Oh, one. That's what it was. That's right. One. They lost their first game in the ALCS against the Angels, who were riding high on basically Red Bull and adrenaline (laughs) after playing the night before in LA and beating the Yankees because of some rainouts. Yep. But that's... That's the epitome of peaking right there. Yep. And and when you look and, at oh, keep going. Sorry, no, I was gonna say, and again, you're seeing his tinkering and experimenting and feeling out process right now in a key position, catcher. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Sebi Zavala is getting so many starts? Because he's trying to decide 
who's going to be the number two catcher on the playoff roster behind Yasmani Grandal. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think Zach Collins may be losing his grip on that position. If you would have asked me like two, three weeks ago who the backup catcher was, I would have said it was Zach Collins, done deal, lock it down. Not so much anymore. Yep. The the defense is of value. Yep. And that and the thing was you look at and then when you get to the end of the season here, and we and, and Kian's fans can look for this, he's not gonna do all this at the cost of just creating a funk either. It's not gonna be like, let's keep trying this and if we're still struggling, who cares? That's not how Tony Liber- he knows. You can't ever let it get too far off the rails when you're trying stuff down the stretch. So he's not going to overcomplicate things to the point where the White Sox get stuck in a funk that they can't get out of. He's going to play this the right way. And if it, you know, and, and as you see the final three weeks of the season, you just mentioned it. Last year they kind of like coasted, they backed into the playoffs. Larusa is not going to do it that way. Larusa is going to be the final three weeks. We'll probably have better lineups than the next three weeks. I'll tell you that right now. You're going to see better lineups the final three weeks of the season. He's going to go with his best. It doesn't matter who the hell they're playing. You can almost guarantee that Tony LaRusso is going to put together his playoff team in those final three weeks, and they're going to want to roll into the postseason on that wave of success. He's not going to do all this testing and blah, 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 up until the final, like when their back's against the wall up at the end, you know, with a five-game lead. Who cares? We lose three this weekend. That's not going to be us. He's going for it. He's going to go hard late because what teams generally win? The teams that are hot at the right time. He wants them hot at the right time, not trying new things at that point. So they're going to be playing better baseball, theoretically, those final three weeks. So look for the final three weeks of the season to be when they really throw out that, that this is probably what our lineup's going to look like in the postseason lineup. You've got the CB yes. stuff. They're, they're obviously, you know, they know what Zach Collins can do. So giving finding out who your, your um, reliable backup option, if case Grandal goes down, is extremely important um, to know who you're going with. You know what you're getting with Collins, though. So he's not an enigma. He's not an enigma at all. So you need to know with CB, though, Seppi or whatever, what, what can you know about him more than anything? So he's going to get a lot more starts over down the stretch, which is good because it doesn't overexpose Collins either. Because Collins kind of get his bearings too. And if, if he happens to be the option over Collins, then so be it. But Collins is a veteran, been around. You want to have veterans in the postseason. He shouldn't be the guy. I mean, Grandal, if he's healthy, shouldn't play, shouldn't, shouldn't sit a single game in a playoff series at that point it's all hands on deck like we're not trying to there's no more resting it's go so i don't i don't foresee that to be a major issue but it's again this is what this time is for you earn the right to to get right that's the best part about having a 10 game lead in august is you earned it you earned the right to struggle a little bit in the mid mid months like they did a little bit in july you earn the right to now tinker and with some of these guys coming back you've earned the right to kind of let some of these guys get out there and struggle a little bit. I think that I think the fans need to kind of lay off and let Lurie or not Lurie Moncada just get his get, get get right without the pressure now at this point. He's I been struggling Moncada with four seamers. Buster. Yeah, he does probably. And he's been struggling with four seam <laughs> fastballs, which is problematic. You know, struggling with four seam fastballs is is not good and not a good sign. Um, and Aldo Soto actually on the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast even mentioned it. If he struggles this series against a Hendricks and a Davies who throw, you know, they wouldn't break window with a fastball, and they're four-seamers, then then there's a problem. And it doesn't look like today he's having much of an issue against Davies. Yesterday, yesterday he really wasn't having much of an issue. Friday he was. Mm-hmm. But he Hendricks is... not look good Friday. You can at least give some of that to Hendricks for being fantastic. And, 
you know, Hendricks is the he has the most wins in baseball right now. I mean, it's a, to be honest, he's the most underrated pitcher in Major League Baseball right now. He's having a Cy Young caliber season, and no one's even talking about him, uh, even though he leads all of Major League Baseball and wins. He hasn't lost a game since, like, May. <laughs> I mean... And, yeah. And we're at the end of five, and Cease just absolutely froze Patrick Wisdom on yeah. strike three. Fastball. A- absolutely froze him. Got uh, it. But nice to your picture. point... To your point about all this, what's going to happen is, and again, I'm old enough to remember 1983. The White Sox will clinch the division at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just say September 20th, just to throw a date out. September 21st, you're going to see the B lineup. All your starters are probably going to get the day off. Just mental day, take a day, relax, hang out, everything else. Maybe two days. After that, get back in and get back at them. And that's when you're going to see the A lineup, you know, the varsity lineup, if you will, out there competing. And I don't think you're going to see them let up this time because they did let up last time. I mean, yes, you give them that day or two just to relax and soak in the moment, but then you get them back out there and say, boys, we got to finish strong. And to be honest with you, they could finish anywhere from first to third in the playoff standings based on being division winner. You'd like to get first because contrary to what I was told last year, home field advantage is a nice thing to have. <laughs> Especially you know, when Dylan C sucks on the road. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, some people are like, oh, home, home field isn't that big a deal. I'm sorry, but I think sleeping in your own bed, doing your, your daily routine of going to the park and everything else is much more advantageous more often than less often, meaning you're on the road uh, and things of that nature where you're in a hotel and everything else. So I want them to finish as strong as they can with home field advantage in their pocket, because honestly, if they do, if they do by the grace of God, make it to the world series, they will probably be, the road team in the world series based on what's going on in the central and the West, because let's face it. The NL East is crap. Mm -hmm. You have to worry about the three teams in the West and the brewers, because those four teams are the ones who, and I say that and like the Mets will probably come (laughs) out and win the pennant just (laughs) so we get hobby shoved down our throat some more. Oh Uh, no, there, (laughs) you know, his great tags and, well, and you know ev- everything else. <laughs> and you bring up Javi, so I guess I know you yes. wanted to talk about this. So let's let's yes. kind of dive and segue into that. The big three fallout yes. from the trade deadline. The re we're not rebuilding, but we're going to trade away our best players, and we're going to yeah. tell you we're not rebuilding to your face, and blatantly do the acts that resemble a rebuild. <laughs> um, and. And if you listened last week, you heard us, primarily Kevin, talk about how Chomsky's theory was going to play out during the week. And for those of you who did not hear, it was on full display on ESPN 1000. First thing Monday Monday morning. morning, First thing. First thing Monday morning with Jed Hoyer being interviewed by uh, Kaplan and Jay Hood. And I give Kaplan credit. He did ask the tough questions and he did ask about the extensions, even though 
he did change the tune on the Brian extension from well north of 200 million to was it significant? So he went from 200 million, well north of 200 million to 200 million to 175 million and then a considerable offer was the yeah. was the was the 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 now thing that he's like what does he do take that hashtag take that no you fucking liar uh yeah. it wasn't well, any of that so yeah but yeah yeah you're right jed jumped up first thing and i actually because i'm on i'm on west coast time i woke up at 9 a.m sleeping in because it's my last monday off before school starts and uh i got a bunch of dms what the hell is this fiddler i'm like mm, i am too tired for this the weekend was already horrible because of the mental and emotional strain and the exhaustion. The night before, KB had said so many nice things, you know, kind of bit his lip, bit his tongue, and did the classy thing. Because you know what? Class is really, you can tell a lot about class, how people say goodbye, and we can see them on display with how Jed said goodbye compared to how KB said goodbye. Um, KB said nice things. He put he put together some, connected some dots that didn't exist. Like, I'm so glad that Jed found places for us that we all would like. Like, as if Jed really was trying to do that. To think, oh, Kimbrel was sent to the White Sox because his daughter's sick and he wants to stay in Chicago. Bullshit. He was almost a Dodger. He was almost a Devil Ray. He was a Dodger until the Scherzer trade. And then the Dodgers pulled out. It wasn't because that he wasn't trying. He was trying to say that would have been two separate areas of the country. He was trying to trade Kimbrel to Tampa or L.A. That's not anywhere near. But KB was being nice trying to connect some dots. Rizzo has some family in New York. He's like a third cousin. He's Italian. We all have cousins in New York if you're Italian. Sorry, everyone has family there. And Javi was traded to New York because it has a Puerto Rican population. No, it was because they were the only ones that wanted him. Yes, and to be with his buddy, uh, Lindor. Lindor, yeah. Not to send him to Miami, which is where he would be a legend. Because that's literally where he's from, that area. But no, no, no. So KB was being nice, and he was trying to connect these dots. And I, I, I appreciate KB being a class act because he's a class act. Jed Hoyer, on the other hand, hopped right on the radio, basically said he offered a contract to all three uh, that he would sleep well at night over, and that nobody I couldn't understand why nobody even counteroffered. Blah blah blah. Within 24 hours, Javi Baez's agent said we countered. We haven't gotten an offer since before the 2020 season. Um, Rizzo said, we countered, we, uh, never got a response and KB's campus. We never got an offer. There was nothing to counter. And also, <laughs> and also he said that he felt he would sleep well because those contracts, those offers would age well. Right. And that's a funny thing. When someone says I'll sleep well, that's them putting their personal, that's such lawyer speak. It's plausible deniability, seed of doubting or whatever you want to call it, gaslighting. Hey, you could have offered him a dollar for 10 years. And if you think it's fair because you think that you knew you weren't signing him, that it's going to age well because you're not giving a specific number and the media is never going to question you on it because we talked about the Chomsky flack last week. They're not, they didn't even question. There was no like, well, what, what did you, you say this offer. Now KB says that he didn't get an offer. What, what do you say to that? Nobody asked him that. They, they let him go and do his, his PR speech. This was a plan that was put into place weeks and weeks and weeks in advance from their PR team. It was, their multi-million well, dollar PR company and or team or whatever had this whole thing laid out. We're going to make the trades on Friday. We'll get you out in front of this thing on Monday morning. First thing, like we talked about last week, we knew it was coming. And they did just that. The only thing they didn't think about was the big news from the NBA on Tuesday that completely stunted their PR push because the Bulls made some moves on Tuesday that drew everybody's attention in Chicago so badly that Wednesday, in a pre, uh, pre-filmed, pre-edited interview with his propaganda arm, the Marquee Network, we got Tom Ricketts 
basically saying whatever he wanted to without being questioned at all back on Wednesday, trying to re-garner the narrative, which they've lost it because now articles are coming out. People are starting to talk. Agents. Rizzo was on the radio. <laughs> it's like, it's called him like a scorned ex-girlfriend. They're, Jed Hoyer Riz- is an Rizzo. idiot for doing that And in the end. Rizzo, and I heard the Rizzo interview. I heard Hoyer on ESPN 1000. I heard the whole interview. And, you know, what people need to realize about Kaplan is Kaplan's the guy who wrote the book called The Plan, the Cubs' audacious plan to build a dynasty. He lost out on this. He had he had skin in the game, as they say, as well. Because if the Cubs did have a dynasty, guess who wrote the book about how it was done? David Kaplan. And guess who was given yeah. access in return for favorable coverage to give detailed access and coverage to it. Now, Dave Kaplan is not a journalist. Let's make sure we also are very clear on that. Dave Kaplan is a radio personality. He is man cow. Media personality. He is stern. He is man cow in the morning. He is Ellen DeGeneres. I don't even, he is not a journalist. He is, to, to give someone like him any journalistic credit is a mistake. He is, it's no, it's like saying, yeah, man cow reported under a trick. Would you really take that from man cow in the morning? You don't know what's shit and what's not. I mean, next That's thing you know, a midget runs out and you've got someone fighting and talking about the ghosts of John Wayne Gacy coming to get, you know, whatever. Like, it's he's a personality, not a journalist. So, like, that's a that's a big part of it. But it was, they jumped out there. It was bad. It was it was predictable. And it was bad. a bad look on Jed. And Jed, of course, people are trying to, like, apologize like for Jed. Well, I feel bad for Jed because he had to go out there and, and cover for his boss. I'm like, look, all of us have had jobs. We all hopefully have had jobs in our lifetime and we work. And if your boss tells you to lie for them... You don't have to lie for your boss. If you lie for your boss, what are you? You're a liar. A liar. You're a liar. It, there's no way you could say no. Okay? He can leave his job and not lie for his boss. If my boss asks me to lie for them, thanks. <laughs> See you later. I'm out. I don't do that. That's not how I work. So let's not let Jed off the hook. He is just as guilty. He threw his lot in. When Theo left, he chose the side he was on. And he has done everything for the boss ever since. Make no mistake about it. KB was being lied to all the way up until the moment he was traded. And then once he was gone, Cap jumps right back on the... He, the, he couldn't wait. Cap, because now he doesn't have to worry about dealing with KB. Cap couldn't wait to jump on there and say, I told you he had the contract extension. Why? Because Jed said so. Jed said so. Believe, let's believe the guy that said, we're not rebuilding. <clears throat> we're not blowing anything up. <clears throat> The you Darvish trade doesn't mean anything. We're trying to win just as hard as anybody else. Or the guy that said that we tried extremely hard to lock up all of those three players, even though I guess for them, extremely hard is not offering Javi a contract for more than two years and KB never getting offered a contract ever. And Anthony Rizzo getting one offer and no responses to his counteroffer. That's working hard. I would love that job because that's basically one thing every two years and the rest is putting your thumb up your butt and doing nothing. So doing the PR stuff and the optics and letting your media sycophants kind of carry the water for you. So big news. But here's the funny part. As much as, as Jed's a, a snake and a liar, and we talked about a snake hisses at you and tells you they're a snake, believe him because they're a snake. Since they've left the team, Anthony Rizzo has been on the Yankees since his first day in the lineup. And I'm not counting this on the trade day, but since he's joined the lineup, the New York Yankees are eight and two. He set a New York Yankees record. Most consecutive games to start a Yankees career with a reaching with a with a single or an RBI or whatever it was. RBI. RBI. It was an RBI, which is 
just phenomenal to think about. Mm -hmm. Think about that. All the players who have gone through that organization, Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, Barra, you know, DiMaggio, Reggie, and he's the first one to do it. That's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So the Yankees are eight and two since Rizzo has joined their lineup. Very good. And he's now, now he's on COVID. IL. Yeah. He got happy birthday today. The unvaccinated uh, Anthony Rizzo. It was diagnosed with COVID. I hope he's going to be okay. I hope the the doomsday scenario of someone with his pre-existing conditions now, I hope his doctor that he apparently said not to get the shot was right. Because if uh, the cancer survivors that I know that got the shot got COVID, they're in much better shape than Anthony Rizzo. Because the uh, obviously the symptoms are far less. I mean, what do they say? Like, point three people get hospitalized if they're if they got COVID with and they're vaccinated. It's like such yes. a of it's like ninety nine point seven percent of the population that's hospitalized right now and, or dying are unvaccinated. I like your chances more being vaccinated. So that sucks for him. Hope he's going to be okay. The Giants who have faced Houston, Milwaukee, and then Arizona. Ugh, um, in, in the time that KB has been with the, the Giants. But, but remember, he only played one game against Houston, correct? Right, correct, because just one game. The Sunday game. and everything mm-hmm. else. They are 6-2 and two with KB in the lineup. Um, again, with two of three, they just took from the Brewers, who last night, he did go 0 for today. Last night, he was on base five times. He doubled in the top of the 11th. He was a huge part of them beating the Brewers, who has more tape on him than probably any other team they'll face the rest of the season. Besides the Cubs, maybe, which is in, in September. And the Cardinals. Yeah, and the Cardinals. So, 6-2 <laughs> and two with him. Now, Javi is with the Mets, and Javi has just been highlights of Javi sliding cool. He made a couple cool tags. Javi. And don't forget, and don't forget, the Mets are now offering a Javi ticket plan. Correct. Correct. Yes. And so, they got Javi, and they were two and a half games in first place when they got Javi. They were looking to create some separation between themselves and the division. <laughs> since they traded for Javi Baez and his cool tags, he did have a game-winning home run that ended up being the game winner against, uh, I want to say, like the Marlins. That Against the Marlins. Um, the Mets are 2-7 and seven and are now in third place in the NL East, and they have collapsed. Now, twice this year, there has been a team that I've been familiar with that had a really good division lead, and then the wheels came off, and they collapsed, and before we blinked, they were in third place within a week, both teams, what's the common denominator? Javi Baez. Cool tags. Cool tag. Javi was on the Cubs when they collapsed. Same kind of situation. And now he's on the Mets when they collapsed. It's almost like a dark cloud follows someone like Javi wherever they go. Um, and uh, maybe that's the common denominator of not winning over the last couple of years. See, on the World Series team, people like talk about the NLCS and how Javi got like a, you know, the player of the series or whatever. Javi Baez was the six or seven hitter in that lineup and the second baseman. He wasn't the core guy. He was one of the outer guys. The guys that were doing the job were the top three guys in that lineup, which was KB, Rizzo, Zobrist. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, even, I mean, Addison Russell was as good or better than Javi at that point. Like, so when Javi became a primetime guy and relied upon, we're seeing the results. We see the results. He had a good 2018, and everything else has been loser mentality ever since. So, Now, whoops. I have to ask you something, specifically about the core guys from 2016. Mm-hmm. Addison, if I remember correctly, wasn't Addison Russell considered one of the core guys? Yep. And this was before all his issues, right. which we're not going to go into. Mm-hmm. But to me, Javi didn't become a core guy until Russell was out of the picture. Correct. He was which which coincides with which coincides with sort of the slippage, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, because if I were like 
they made the NLCS in 2015 and lost to the Mets. Mm-hmm. 2016, we know what they did. 2017, they were back in the NLCS, but this time they lost to the Dodgers mm-hmm. in the rematch. Correct. After that, it seemed that they slipped. They slipped. They did. You know, they they after, fell, after fell, that. fell, fell, fell. Look at check this out too. 2015, they get the NLDS, right? Yes. Who were the best players on the 2015 Chicago Cubs? And they won 97 KB. games. Starting catcher, Miguel Montero. So not Wilson Contreras. KB, because he was the rookie of the year. Rizzo, KB, Starlin Castro. Right. Addison Russell was his second. Chris Coughlin, Coughlin was in left. Dexter Fowler in center. And Jorge Soler in right. Kyle Schwarber is a utility guy. Didn't really play. Uh, I think he played in 69 games in 15. He was hurt, right? Remember? Came back. No, it was 16. <clears throat> oh, was 16 was got hurt. He got hurt. 16 was got hurt. Yeah. That's right. He was a late season call up and started performing. That's right. And he hit like yes. uh, 16 jacks in like 69 games that year. So he was typical him. Javi Baez yeah. got 80 plate appearances in 2015. Total. Total. So their first best year, Javi was a nobody. Bench. He played 28 games. Yep. And he was a year older than. Addison Russell, and almost the exact, he's a little bit younger than KB, and he was basically the same age as Jorge Soler. So that was 2016, or 15, excuse me. Now, 2016, you look at the roster, and you look at the lineup and the contributors from the 16 team, team that won 103 games. Javi Baez played in 142 games and actually didn't play poorly. He only struck out 108 times in 450 plate appearances. That's better than he is today. His OPS plus was 94, not too bad. But their starting lineup, was Miguel Montero, Anthony Rizzo, Ben Zobrist, Addison Russell, Chris Bryant, Jorge Soler, who then eventually was, I think, did they trade him that year? I can't remember what happened. He was uh, traded after they won the World Series. Right, oh, that was after the series, that's right. And then Fowler, yes. and then Jason Hayward, who was a new addition that year, with Javi yes. being a guy that kind of played based on... He was a floater. He was, he was a, a floater. floater, yeah. 142 games because he was a floater, and he, and he got plenty of plate appearances, but Soler got the least amount of all that. Um and Montero, obviously, playing going back and forth because they had David Ross and Wilson Contreras. Um, and so, Javi, again, not necessarily a core member of that lineup. 2017, you get out there, and now let's look at Javi Baez as necessary. See, here's me. I believe that Javi Baez is, can impact positively a baseball game 20 to 25% of the time. He is a he actually impacts negatively the other 75% of the time. So he might have a huge game where he hits two homers. He wows everybody, drives in five runs. He's incredible. But then he has games where he'll go three or four games where he's 0 for 4 with five, stri- you know, four strikeouts, and he's, you know, not helping the team move runners over. He's not setting the table, doesn't take walks, doesn't get on base, and he's basically worthless. So people just don't, t- you know, creating runs is the stat that matters. Javi doesn't create as many runs. He's an average run creator when it comes down to it over the course of 165, 162. So in that year in 2017, now all of a sudden Addison Russell's there and we've got Wilson, Rizzo, still they still consider Zobris the second baseman, but he's really kind of floated. Addison Russell, KB, Schwarber, Almora, and Jason Hayward with Javi, obviously going back and forth between second, short. He played third a little bit that year, I believe too. And it's funny. When Javi is not the primetime guy, Javi's good. Hit 273, 23 homers. Um, you know, that's not too bad for a guy that's you know, with no pressure. And then 18 came, and he had the big monster year, right? He hit a uh, first year. Um, no, not even the first year. He hit 290. He struck out a bunch of times. He hit 34 jacks. He was an MVP candidate. 
And then came May of 2019. Javi Baez after May of September, May of 2019 has been a below average major league player, period. And so, you know, when you look well, at his numbers, well, his numbers Mar- were fantastic Mar- in April and May. And then after May hits, his numbers cataclysmic drop over the next two seasons, two plus seasons. Because watching him, there's a couple of things I'll say. One, to me, first off, the whole excuse about the video and everything else is a crock of shit. Yep. Still you hasn't know, made any difference. Same hitter this year as he right. was last year. Right, exactly. Second, to me, it seems that MLB finally caught up to him. Mm-hmm. And and he has not adjusted since. He, I mean, you can watch a game from 2019, May on, 2020, 2021. Pitchers attack him the exact same freaking way why you would ever throw you know middle in <laughs> to him is beyond me no idea how that why 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 i mean he sta- where he stands in where he stands in proximity in the box to the outside corner all you need to do is throw some sweeping curveballs on that outside corner he's gonna be he, he's gonna fall out of a boat and not hit water mm-hmm. i think it, we're seeing just, this oh good mm-hmm. i was gonna say it just amazes me that People don't, you know, supposedly these are smart people in these major league organizations. Why in the world you would ever give them an inside fastball is beyond me. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that violent swing, not aging well, even when he's getting a contract offer or whatever. So oh, cup snake on, on the broadcast. Oh, here we go. On the broadcast. Here we go. Rain delay. Nope. nope. Cup snake time. But here's the thing is when you look at their numbers and you look at how the teams are doing now, we'll see, we'll know at the end of the season, right? Uh, again, yes. eight games, nine games, 10 games is a hard, it's a short, small sample size, but Oh, to start Adam Engel, Adam Engel just takes one on the elbow Ouch. Like, or on the arm. Um, you look at the, at least the first 10 sample size. We know who the loser of the bunch is, at least currently. Yeah, I don't want to say that until it's over. But when the season is over and we go ahead and do a nice autopsy on how these trades panned out or not for each team. I do believe that when we look back, this will hold. I do not think that the Mets will be a 500 baseball team with Javi Baez on the roster when they were a 500 baseball team without him. I, for some reason, I just, he's already getting into it with like the Marlins. It's constant. Like he's chatting, run his mouth. He's causing drama. He is not, he's a distraction. Let's be honest. He's a distraction and guys that play the game that, that, that are in their comfort zones. You throw a guy like that, like the Tasmanian devil into a China shop, you're going to get Tasmanian devil in the China shop kind of results. You're going to get inconsistency elsewhere. So you're going to also see guys that come in like KB who are quiet. It's not about them. They're just going to go do their job. And they're very easy to have in a locker room because they wouldn't say shit with a mouthful of manure. And they go out there and they play well. Or Anthony Rizzo, who's just a fun guy and smiles and goes out there and just hits bombs and taters and comes in the dugout. And he's fun to be around. And Javi, I'm sure he's fun to be around. Look, let's be honest. It's easy to high five someone. Being a good teammate is not how what you do in the dugout celebrating and doing all that fun stuff. That's not a good teammate. That's just being excited about baseball, okay? I can go watch a good movie with someone that I hate, and when there's a badass scene in it, I'm going to high-five that person even though I don't like them. It's fun. It's exciting. What are you doing in the clubhouse? Because you're family. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing? We don't need hits if you got family. Um, what are you doing to make your teammates better? Is Javi sitting there? Is he watching everybody else hit, offering advice? Or is he taking his hacks and then going to the dugout, going back to the clubhouse and tweeting and texting his friends and Instagram and TikTok and or whatever, doing whatever he does. 
Is he sitting around helping others get better? And that's what a real good teammate is. It's not the stuff that you see in the dugout on the broadcast. These guys know where every freaking camera is. They know how to sell themselves as cool. But you, the, 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 Sosa? the places where the camera's not rolling is where you know where a good teammate lives or dies. Javi doesn't work with other guys. Okay. Jason Hayward's not sitting there watching everybody else hit and going, Hey man, you're, you're pulling your backside through a little bit. You need to maybe make some adjustments. They're not doing that. Now there are guys like KB. I know they do. And guys like Rizzo that do, cause they want to sit there and not only do they want to watch you hit, they want to get shit there and shoot the shit. And in that clubhouse, that's not how guys operate. You got you, you, to get Javi Baez to practice is like pulling I, Alan Iverson into a gym for, for a, a, a you know, <laughs> Practice. Uh, practice. What? Talking no. about practice. I mean, he's he's openly documented and, and admitted that he doesn't show up prepared to games or work hard sometimes. So, you know, and, and he it, needs a crowd to get him into it as well. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the, that was another, another point excuse that he made about 2020. Excuses. It's always an excuse yes. with Javi, though. Always. Yes. There's always and, an excuse. And can I contrast something? You know, there's a, there's been, been this ongoing discussion about the best short, shortstop in Chicago. Is it TA or is it Javi? And I think from the moment that TA won the batting title in 2019, I don't think it's even close. Nope. That's my personal opinion, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody will say, Oh, defensively Javi's so much better. Is he really, mm. is he really who leads the league in, at, who leads the league in, in errors right now? Yes. But Javi by I wanted, I want to highlight a point you made and contrast Javi versus TA Javi. You talked about, in the clubhouse, not helping other guys, not chatting to them, saying, hey, I noticed you're doing this. I noticed you're doing that. I don't know if you've heard Billy Hamilton, but Billy Hamilton has talked about on numerous occasions how T.A. has been his biggest cheerleader and saying, you can do this. Why don't you think about this? Why don't you think about that? And has helped Billy become a much better hitter. Billy Hamilton's never going to hit 50 home runs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not going to happen, okay? The guy relies on his legs. But if you really watch him, he's become a much better hitter. And part of that has to do with T.A.'s help. Obviously, Frank Menachino, I'm sure, plays a huge part mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in it as well. But T.A. is also there helping him and supporting his teammate, just like Abreu does, just like all these other guys do. They call Abreu big, you know, they call Abreu daddy, for God's sakes. He's like the father figure to Makata, to Eloy, to Luis Robert. So, that's the difference I see with Javi versus TA. TA, yes, there is a there is an aspect of TA where it's about TA and TA wants to get his name out there and everything else. But that's not the only aspect of TA. TA also knows that winning is the biggest advertising tool that there is. Mm-hmm. And he wants to win. And I think Javi doesn't get that part that you need to give a little something you know, it's like lose the battle, win the war. Yeah, you may not get the the notoriety right here, but when you're walking around with some hardware, you're going to get more notoriety. You know, look look at the teams that live that live forever in this the city, the '85 Bears. They won one touch, and there's a, a lot of stunning similarities between the '85 Bears and the '16 Cubs and the '05 White Sox too. To be honest with you, you know, teams that were expected to do more that didn't. Uh-huh. that had revered coaches, managers, that it became more about them than the team. Ditka, Ozzy, Joe Madden, all of them fell into the same trap. 
it became more about them than it did the team. The only two coaches I've ever seen in Chicago who didn't fall into that trap, Phil Jackson was one because, let's face it, he had the great equalizer to, to, to rein him in and Michael Jordan, who was going to rein everybody else in. And Joel Quenville was the other. And I just think hockey guys are bred differently. You know, they're they're wired differently. So, you know, they got that Canadian, oh, how's it going, eh? UD Day, eh? But you see the traps that a lot of these guys fall into where it becomes about, you know, and they say there's no I in team, but there is a me in team. And they they fall into the trap where it's, I got to get mine before the team gets theirs. And that's one of the reasons I honestly believe Tony LaRusso was brought in. Because Tony LaRusso won, he won with the White Sox. He did. He had division only, but he still won. He won in Oakland. He won in St. Louis. This is a guy who knows how to teach organizations how to win. And not only how to win, but how to sustain winning. And the sock and Andrew Vaughn drives in another run. It is now nine to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vaughn. Maybe the team's yeah. MVP since the All-Star break. I mean. Oh, without question. Without question. And I, like I said earlier in this broadcast, I was skeptical about him in the outfield. Really, not anymore. No, I, I think. The guy's done a fantastic job in left field. And from what I've seen so far in right field, serviceable. Serviceable. And, you know, and I say serviceable because he's been out there for all of what, seven, eight games? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to say he's done a good job with that small of a sample size. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he looks lost out there or anything like that. Nope. Nope. By the way, immediately when I post a thing about it's like it's like Tom Ricketts has a burner account. Um, all over the place, or these are PR people because every time I come, please sell the team, Ricketts, blah, blah, blah. Someone jumps there, remind me how many players league wide got extensions the last 18 months. Are you kidding me right now? First COVID, then a new CBA, FFS, reigning MVP and face of the Braves, Freddie Freeman wasn't extended. Oh, so that means it's better. So we're supposed to trust owners. You're an idiot, Dan Strickland, whoever you are, with your six followers. That's why I know you're a burner. You're, you're, Lance Lynn was extended. Yeah, Lance Lynn was extended. Weird. Um, but you know what? It's hard to extend all three of your big three when total offers to the big three were two. Two total offers. Between, that's, that's not even 100% all of them being offered. So let's not hold water for these idiot billionaire owners. But this is what people do these days. In their cognitive dissonance, they are more willing to argue for billionaire people or wealthy individuals that don't do give two craps about them and are trying to squeeze everything out of them to put more in their own pocket, their own self-interests. They are more willing to argue against their own self-interest or against the player's interest in lieu of defending billionaire player or billionaire owners. It, it boggles my mind that we're at this place where it actually, for some people is a passionate argument to defend people that actually want to do whatever they can possibly to take more money out of your pocket as opposed to their own pocket. That is, you know, Cubs have the highest ticket prices in Major League Baseball, and now for the next two months, they are putting out a Schaumburg Flyers caliber baseball team. Think about that and for a second. Way, $100 plus a ticket minimum that these people bought months ago thinking that this was going to be a stretch run because they were sold. We're not rebuilding. We're not blowing anything up. And now you got their money in your pocket. Now what? By the way, where are all those Cub fans at? I've heard about attendance for years. Ooh. I've seen a lot of empty seats there this weekend. Where are they at? Where to go? I mean, you know, they have no problem pointing out the White Sox attendance mm-hmm. woes. 
no problem at all at pointing that out. And it's like, I see a lot of empty seats in your park. Maybe you should uh, keep your own house in order before pointing out anyone else's. Just a thought. Oh, man. Yeah, this person that's literally, it, it has to be a, a burner for, for, for Tom Ricketts because all of his posts are literally the same thing. Even the FFS. Like, it's almost like this person's been copying and pasting and just searching Ricketts. So Dan Strickland, maybe Tom Ricketts, Rick Ricketts, Strickland. Oh, I see it now. Says he's a liberal Cubs fan, a golfer, and a dad. Perfect anti-Tom Ricketts. Conservative, not really a Cub fan. Doesn't golf at all. Probably has kids that hate him. Um, so, um, anyway. But if he's if he's a liberal, why is he a Cub fan? I mean, daddy gives money to Donald Trump. Right. Well, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. It's Tom Ricketts. It's, yeah. he's, he's basically, yeah. it's all, everything that describes this fake account is yeah. all anti, it's the exact opposite of Tom Ricketts. So he thinks no one will, no one will know it's me. <laughs> Just like the Marquee Network. Uh, sorry. Yeah. But, uh, What's wrong with the Marquee Network? <laughs> and this is where we're at, though, with the Cubs and, and, and the Marquee Network, which is a really poorly run. It's, again, it's, uh, what is that? Um, what's the media group that they partnered with? Um, Sinclair. Sinclair Media, right, which is already notoriously known for mouthpiece propaganda uh, with the talk, using similar talking points. Conservative, um, a conservative mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got this going with the Cubs. And again, we'll see with Javi and, and Rizzo and KB how things kind of pan out. It, it, again, I'm, I'm over this. I'm, I, it, it's kind of nice for me, though. It's kind of funny. Is that I, I, I can go back to being just a regular Cub fan again. Um, I don't have to worry about holding back my real feelings a lot of times now because it may or may not somehow get back to them that Chris Bryant's high school coach had bad things to say about the Cubs organization. Now it's doesn't matter. I can go back to being a regular Cub fan and calling out the Cubs ownership and their front office for being the slap dicks that they are. I'm kind of happy that I can kind of go back to not worrying about, hey, KB, is this okay if I say this? I don't want to get you in trouble with your boss. Now it's, fuck your boss. He ain't your boss anymore. And uh, screw all of you guys. Uh, and uh, I don't have to worry about defending KB anymore because KB's in a better place on a winning franchise that knows what winning World Series is more than just once or twice, but three times in a five to six year period. They know what winning is. So, they're actually in a better place. I'm happy. He's in a good place. He's calm. He's chilled. He's enjoying himself. Rizzo's calm, chilled. I'm sure Javi's enjoying himself. Getting away from the toxicity of the Cubs fandom and that front office that couldn't tell you, that it would lie to your face. They'd stab you in the stomach and tell you that that's not their dagger, even though their hand's still on it. So they would just gaslight the hell out of you. And that's, it's good for these guys that they're gone. Um, and I, they're not coming back. And I've said this a million times in the show. A-Rod thinks he thinks Javi might come. No, they have burned the bridge. Yeah. Trust me, Jed, Jed Hoyer burned the bridge trying to go out there and run optics on monday morning to make himself look better instead of doing what theo would have done which is we wish him the best we just couldn't come to an agreement we thank them for their time here in chicago we will definitely you know look to engage them in the offseason with you know uh, possibly re-signing them but thank you so much for what you've done next question no 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 jed had to go out there and try and like you know like liars have like almost like over explain their lies yes that was jed hoyer on the radio he was over explaining his lies you know what that situation reminded me of? And I just thought of it when you were talking about it. It reminds me of Kenny Williams's a media hit right after Machado signed with the Padres. That's what it reminds me of. You know, we had the better offer. I'm wearing my sunglasses to hide the shock in my eyes. Not saying everyone and their mother knew Machado wanted $300 million, but we offered $250 and it was a better deal with all these bonuses that we control, not Manny Machado. That's almost what it sounds like. 
they they screwed up. They don't want to admit they screwed up by lowballing, which let's face it, they did lowball. They lowball well, they lowballed two of them and noballed one of them, <laughs> if there's such a word. And they're trying to to you know obscure obfuscate that fact and that goes to the job you know the bigger the lie the more likely people are to believe it and you know you have these media people or i shouldn't say media people but these marketing people pr people sitting there saying and one of the things we know about the cubs and this extends back to the tribune days and there's a constant in this crane kenny this extends back to those days where they controlled the message. They not only controlled the message about the Cubs, they controlled the message about the White Sox. And they did everything in their power to destroy the White Sox. They did everything in their power to try and destroy Frank Thomas in the Frank versus Sammy, uh, who's the better player thing, you know, the big skirt and all that stuff. And Sam, you know, Oh, look at Sammy world is always open. Sammy's great with the fans, Frank's dour and sullen and everything else. Yeah. Cause Frank was getting fucked over because he, he played square and Sammy didn't. And if you want to sit here and argue with me that Frank took steroids, where's the proof? Because you mean to tell me that if Frank was taking steroids, the Tribune would have not gone out of their way to destroy the guy, their competitor's best player. You need to learn a lot if you think that's the case. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, I just love this. I'm, I'm just enjoying the, the Andrew Vaughn stuff. I, again, I'm not going to yeah. toot my own horn. I'm not going to, you know, well, okay, I'm going to break my arm real quick, patting myself in the back. I've been on the Andrew Vaughn train since before the White Sox office drafted him. Um, and, I know uh, you were on the Andrew Vaughn train at the beginning of the season when I had expressed my my what I expressed was I never doubted Andrew Vaughn's ability, but I was concerned about throwing him in into left field at the major league level, which is someplace he never played before, and how that would impact him. That was my concern, and it's safe to say the guy passed with flying colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's me at the draft. If the if the White Sox don't take Andrew Vaughn, burn the house down. No other player at third is even close to Andrew Vaughn. C.J. Abrams wouldn't be awful, but anything other than Vaughn is a terrible mistake. That was me, yeah. June 3rd, 2019. Two, two innings of scoreless relief from Ronaldo Lopez. They just finished the seventh. So it is now an official game if the rains come. What was it? The end of five. Yep. And that's good. So, but here, so with that, um, we could do a little segue on over now. I mean, I got, we talked about the Cubs and the PR stuff. We knew that stuff was coming and we, we Mm -hmm. called it on the show last week. It's great. Let's kind of transition now over to the real positive where all Cub fans and White Sox fans except for like maybe unprotected socks and summer of George who are Packer fans and Vikings fans, uh, and respectively. Ken, and Ken and Ken WO, who was a Raiders. Fan. Right. Right. We've, I mean, they've got problems. Um, so we can all <laughs> rally together to give them hate in the off season. Uh, but the bears camp, uh, NFL camp in general has started and the bears are, uh, going and, and obviously the big deal this week, you know, or in camp has been, um, Justin Fields, 
their you know their first round draft pick quarterback um and and they're finally a lot of the footage is starting to get out because there's open practices now at this point whereas we didn't get a lot of footage early on we're starting this week has been today i probably i spent about an hour watching him throw uh in some of these these um games but it's not just justin fields um while nick Foles is getting pretty poor reviews and running his mouth quite a bit basically begging to be traded um andy dalton is actually grading out really well right now in this uh camp as well he's making some good throws so the Bears, all of a sudden, it sounds like Matt Nagy has lost his excuse to have to pare back the playbook. Everything is available. And they're saying that this is the best overall preseason or pre- whatever, training camp or whatever with quarterbacks that they have seen with the Bears since they've been covering it. So for you, what are you thinking? I mean, I know we, you want to talk about the O-line too. With the quarterback situation, Justin Fields... People are going to be calling for Justin Fields on day one. It's inevitable. Um, you know, they were calling for Mitchell Trubisky back in the day too. But for you, what do you think is a, logist, a, a legitimate, logical prediction or expectation for when we see Justin Fields? Would it be in this season, early in this season, late this season, or even non this season and only until next year, maybe getting a little bit here and there like to get a little taste of it, but nothing unless there's an emergency ever him being like the guy or being expected to be the guy. So where, what do you think is going to happen? Well, he I I strongly I strongly believe he will be playing sooner rather than later this year. But I believe he'll be playing sooner rather than later this year for the wrong reasons. And I say that because Tevin Jenkins has not played a snap yet in practice. Not a snap. He's had some back issues. Back issues for an offensive lineman, bad news. This is the guy you're bringing in to protect Justin Fields' backside, his blindside. So that's number one. Number two, you're losing offensive linemen left and right. Three or four are down. They just went and signed a new offensive lineman yesterday. So let's face it. um, Andy Dalton, I almost said Dalton from Roadhouse. (laughs) But Andy Dalton is a statue in the pocket. He's just waiting to be annihilated due to a a shoddy, leaky offensive line. And what's going to happen is he's going to get hit, and he's going to get hit hard, and he's going to get hit often. He's going to get hurt, and then they're going to. Everyone's going to be clamoring for Fields to come in even before this happens. Everyone's going to want Fields out there week one against against the Rams on on uh, Sunday night. Please don't. He's too valuable to have him out there with a leaky, shoddy offensive line. I would prefer that he he redshirts this year and you get the offensive line in order, then put him out there because there's too much invested in this kid to allow him to get beat around like a pinball and wind up hurt somehow. Mm-hmm. And he's just a big guy, though. I No, I get it, but... You know, let's face it, he played for Ohio State. Yeah, he played Michigan, but he also played schools like Purdue and Northwestern and Illinois. The football talent just isn't there. It just isn't there. Sorry. He's, you know, he's going to be going against some monsters. Do you know who he goes against week one? If he plays? The Rams. Mm -hmm. Guess who's coming for him? Leonard Floyd and the big guy. And Yes. That's why I think it is an absolute mistake to have this guy start this year. 
I mean, if you're talking week 15, week 16, you know what? If it's to that point, put them in. Mm-hmm. But please, God, get the offensive line in order before you put them in. Exactly. Be excited about these throws. These throws are gorgeous. He's making he's made yes. throws like these throws that you're seeing on these videos. They're amazing. And hearing that he knows the playbook left, he's he's commanding the huddle now, and he's doing the. It's that's development, guys. It's development. That's this is the point. He's gonna have bad throws too. No one's filming the the bad throws. No one's posting the bad throws right now. But there are bad throws and mistakes too. And he's learning these things. He's also going up against one of the best defenses in football every day. Um, which is great for him. Ogletree, uh, a, a recent acquisition. Is it Kevin Ogletree? Um, a recent yes, ac- acquisition. He's been picking passes off left and right at practice all week. I, I feel like every day I go on Twitter and there's like, uh, Ogletree picked off a few more passes today. This is a guy that came in and is a part of this, and it could be a, a really nice addition to this defense, uh, especially with depth is concerned. But he's gotten to face Nick Foles a lot. You're going to get a lot of picks when you're facing Nick Foles. It's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Third stringers, yes. you know, second stringers. And and I don't know if he's been picking off just him and, you know, Dalton's gotten picked a few times. I know that, I mean, even, you know, Fields gets picked. But let the development happen. You know, don't throw, it, 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 it's a mistake to throw a guy out there if you, if you have to. That's very different. The guy go, you know, Dalton goes down. Yeah, then okay. You got to let him get out there and it's, it is what it is. Because I don't think that I don't think Foles will be around. I think that Foles is going to be gone before the the season starts. He's got. I mean, what are you paying a guy to be a third stringer? You can't not have Justin Fields active. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> can't do yeah. that. That's not okay. But you got to let this happen. And I, I mean, I don't see him till midseason, at the at the earliest. But fans are going to have. They need to taper it back, man. You've got to just let the kid develop. Stop. Fans don't understand that they want it fast, and then when it doesn't happen, when they're not successful, when they get it fast. Then they crap all over him and they pile it on too. It's a lose-lose situation. Trubisky. Yeah, Trubisky, Trubisky. Was, exactly. Everyone was begging for Trubisky over Glennon, and they finally got it. And he stro- he did okay. And then it, look at what look at how you know Bears fandom treated Mitchell Trubisky basically after that that the missed field goal that he drove him within a, a chippable win. Look at how everything changed after that missed field goal for Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know, how Bears fans treated him. It was because he didn't get any development because he was thrown to the wolves. He wasn't supposed to start that early. But Glennon was just so monumentally bad. It was like, well, why not? And John Fox, of course, handcuffed him with not letting him do anything. And then he had to learn a whole new offense the next year with with Nagy. I mean, whatever you say about Trubisky, that's not the same situation for Fields. He's got an established head coach that's been here that is basically, if he doesn't get the job done, needs to get his, you know, find the unemployment line fast. So this is Nagy saving see, his, his, his job. I, disag- I disagree with you on that. I think Nagy is here for a few more years regardless. And Fields is the reason why, because they are going to use the development argument mm-hmm. to protect their jobs. So they, they, of all people, don't want to see this kid get hurt or mm-hmm. anything. Or fail. Like that. Or fail. Or fail. Yeah. Because that would mean everything they said was wrong mm-hmm. and that's and, what i'm saying i'm not saying Nagy's coaching for his job this year he gets the ex- he gets right. the window he gets the excuse of yes. developing yep. fields but after next year when fields has to be the day one starter any struggle beyond that it's time to maybe it's maybe it ain't maybe it ain't the player and i don't think i don't that's, think it was we've watched Nagy, and it's weird i'm hearing all these things like the bears have been extremely excited to commit to the run uh, in this preseason in, in, at camp, and they're 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 doing. I'm hearing all these things that don't sound anything like Mac Nagy, Matt Nagy's offense the last three years. 
None of that. Committed to the run game? My ass. There are games that go where he runs the ball six times total. You know, they forget. David Montgomery needs the ball 20 times a game minimum or or it's malpractice. And then build everything else around that. The Bears are a defensive-minded team. They need to grind the football, especially when the weather changes. Early on, fine. Play around a little bit, fling it around. But man, David Montgomery, if he doesn't get 15 to 20 touches a game, it's malpractice. And there are games that that has happened with Matt Nagy. How do you forget that? Even when your team's bad, you can have a good run game and hang around in ball games. And the commitment to the run, I'll believe it when I see it, because that's never been his MO. But I would love a Bears offense that grinds, uses play action, and uses the speed of Mooney on the outside and lets Allen Robinson be a just a ball control guy along with a Fant and Cole Komet is going to be a big-time star this year for the Bears, I think. Um, Jimmy Graham will be a touchdown guy inside the five as he usually He'll still probably catch 10 touchdowns. He might only have 15 catches, <laughs> but he'll have like 10 touchdowns. And I think Cole Komet's going to be a huge, huge, huge. I'm, everything that I see about Komet's performance this this training camp has been all positive. That's a big, big guy. And I think that bodes well for, of course, Justin Fields' success to have a, a big target like that that's creating space, creating space in the middle of the field, even though he's a big guy with size and strength. So I love that. And he also played really well as a college player in the biggest games. He was the best receiver on the field for Notre Dame when they were playing against Alabama and against Georgia. I was at Georgia, and, or Georgia, excuse me, Georgia, not Bama. Sorry. Was it Bama? No, they didn't play Bama. Uh, Georgia, I think it was. Uh, or did yeah, they play Bama? They played, they played Bama one year, Georgia the other, I think. Because I know the Komet had like 10 catches for like 130 yards. I think it was, I feel it was Georgia, actually, in that Georgia game. Um, but he's, he's, he can play against the big dogs. He's strong enough. So that's to be interesting to see. You're right though. The O-line, I mean, Jenkins, who's the first round pick as well, back issues, still doesn't really practice this training camp. They're hoping to get him back maybe this week, I I think. And that's big because that's a, that's a big hog molly to not have. And that O-line is the question mark. All this offensive positivity means nothing. If you're having like Roquan Smith literally intercepted a, a pitch from Justin Fields the other day at practice. If you have a linebacker that's that deep into the backfield that early, (laughs) you have problems. And it is a good Bears defense. And Roquan Smith is an elite defender in this league. And I think he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate this year. Um, But that's just, that just shows it's really bad. So that's, that's going to be terrifying. Um, So I don't know if you got any more bear stuff, but uh, I, there's one thing I want to say, and it goes to your point about, you know, setting up the running game first off the thing that's frustrated me about the bears for years is they're still they still think it's 1985 the league is built for passing not for running the run to set up the pass model is old it's antiquated and it doesn't work anymore here's the whole concept of the run run to set up the pass so you want to run so that you have eight guys on the line trying to tackle the running back so that you can drop back and throw a pass. Tell me how that makes sense. It makes none. To me, you want to set up the pass for the run. So why? So that they drop back in coverage and then you run with less guys to worry about getting through. But again, a lot of people will come at me about this thing. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. If the West Coast offense proved one thing, it's that if you stretch the defense, there's a lot more yardage to work with than if you have eight guys on the line trying to stop the run game. Because if they don't stop the run game and you're dropping back to pass, guess what? They're still coming for you. 
Didn't anybody learn anything from the basic concepts of the 46? The 46 defense basic concept was go ahead and try and throw the ball. Stop. It's basically us getting to you before you can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. That's the concept of it. That's oh. why I think the run to set up the pass is antiquated bullshit that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Look up today, by the way, I want to give a real quick special shout out to friend of the show, big supporter of our podcasts, this podcast, as well as the pinwheels and Ivy love them. And, Tom and the, from the one away podcast and from the one away too, as a cub fan as well. He's one of the few cub fans that have been accepted as kind of like part of the, the family as the, uh, the weird cousins, I guess. Uh, but happy birthday <laughs> to, uh, our boy, little yumper. Uh, he's a great dude. He, you know, if you're not following him on Twitter yet, get your butts and follow him. Um, he does, he's, he, not only does he provide great content, like just now his pinata farms, uh, little video that he just popped with beef loaf, me and, and Aldo and Zoe. Um, he's a good dude. He's, a, he's, a, I mean, I'd say this since I started doing podcasts, he's the first person that I kind of like, like outside of like the podcast itself built a relationship with here on the digital, whatever our digital interver- or universe that we live in or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's a great man. You know, he's a good father. Uh, I can't say enough. You know, when I came to Chicago, who was the first two people that I met before the Sox game that night? Pete and Yumper at Buffalo Wings and Rings. Those are the first two dudes that I got hung out. I hung out with. We met up with Zoe, and then I'll be flowing those guys after from there. Yeah. But he was. You guys were the first two guys that I got to hang out with, man. And, and you met. You got to spend some time with Yumper. He's just a quality stand-up dude. He's a great guy. He's a fantastic father. His his TikTok's funny. His YouTube videos, movie reviews. Him and I've been talking about Suicide Squad, which we'll get to later. Um, a ton lately. We talk and about his, films, and he's just a good man, though. Like, and his meme work is outstanding. At, at next level, next level quality. So happy birthday, Yump! I uh, appreciate happy you a ton, Yump. buddy. I, I really do. So and, absolutely, and you're you're one of the best yeah. parts about me joining this podcast universe and the Twitterverse. So I appreciate you a ton, man. And I echo everything, everything that Kevin said. Happy birthday, buddy. Now, Jordan Miller can go suck it. No, on the other <laughs> side of that. No, just kidding. Sorry. sorry. We're, we're, we're in our DM right now. We're messing with Jordan because Jordan was sure that Lambert was going to be traded like a month ago. So uh, <laughs> speaking of movies uh, and us being old and those guys kind of being a little bit wait, younger. Wait. Before, before we get to the movies, can I make a, a, a big announcement? Oh, yeah. That's right. This is a big one. This big one. Yes. If you speak so, Yes, I will be at the Field of Dreams game. So I will be providing content from the Field of Dreams game. Uh, I was fortunate. I did not win the White Sox season ticket holder lottery, but I was fortunate enough that Wally Money did and asked me to go. I think the real reason he asked me to go was to be the designated driver, but Fitz. I will be there nonetheless. And Wally will be doing that belly help pelvic thrust dance. I want hump so, videos from, from Wally, Wally from you. The Drunken Wally, Wally mating ritual. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. The Wally mating ritual. It's like a peacock with its feathers up, except it's his peacock. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> gotcha, Wally. Don't you mess with me. So anyway. <laughs> why you do why you do me like that? Ah, oh, poor guy. <laughs> delicious mating ritual <laughs> it brings in all the 40 something single women yes who have eyesight his, issues his, um, his milkshake brings all the all the all the uh 40 some odd his, single women in his, his milkshake brings all the poor life choices to the bar uh so <laughs> i love wally that was one of my favorite parts about that whole experience was wally just 
again, man, quality people, man. Throughout all of us, what we do, man, we, this has been, my girlfriend laughs at me, but through this, the podcasting and the Twitter stuff and, and the 108 stuff and the, you know, this and that, such good people we got to meet, you know, just we've gotten to get to know over the, especially the shutdown was like a perfect way to cope. And so we all really got really intimate with each other, like as far as, you know, constant communication to keep ourselves sane. So this was, this is a very, very special kind of like, I, I like our little circle. I really do. Yes. Um, it's a big fan. Uh, just finished the eighth inning. The White Sox are up nine to three. Yeah. So I got my and beer over here. I, I might have to pause for a chug video for, for, for my vet, my bet, but cause I, I'm sure Zoe will be begging for it. It's, 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 yeah. it's nine o'clock in Chicago. He's not going to go to bed without that chug. So I will have to probably That's pause right. myself. So, and let me add one more thing. Wally and I will be in Las Vegas attending the Bears Raiders game. So Vegas beware. Wally will be on the loose. <laughs> I'll be babysitting his mother. <laughs> as much as I babysat on Friday night yeah, with my girlfriend. She was drinking double vodka sodas. I don't be a babysit. Uh, so now we're old. We're older guys, right? I'm, I mean, I'm in my phone. Yes. I'm 44. You're, you're probably, what, yes. 46, maybe somewhere around there? Uh, a little bit older. Oh, let's well, see. I was, uh, just, yeah. I was always shooting low. Just that's a rule of thumb. Yeah, I know. Never tell a that's, woman that's congratulations my, on the pregnancy. That's life. You always, you always, life, shoot low. Yep. You always shoot low with ages and you never, ever, ever tell a woman congratulations on the pregnancy ever Yes. until she or, says, I can't wait for this baby to come out or twice or you. Oh yeah. That makes you look big. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, always reminds me of Tommy boy. Does, does this make me look fat? No, but your face does. So one of my favorite Tommy Boy lines from Spade. But yeah, so we're older. So we, we, this is a little bit more for, you know, our, you know, and our listenership is a pretty good demographic of, of older, older gents. But uh, 36 years ago today, uh, Tim Burton released his first feature length film. Uh, a masterpiece of American cinema. Correct. From the Warner Brothers property line. And with Danny Elfman as his composer. And 36 years ago today, we were introduced to the beauty <laughs> we were introduced to Pee-wee's Big Adventure and not for sale, Francis. I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. For a million billion dollars. Trillion Francis. <laughs> the movie the movie that brought tequila, the song. Absolutely. Back into the public conscience. Oh yeah, and the idea of a boy and his bike, and I'm a lunar daddy, a rebel. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, Mr. there's a telephone call for you at the front Mr. desk. Mr. P.W. Herman. <laughs> Such a great movie. So yeah, 36 years ago today, Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out for me as a kid. I was eight years old. I dressed up as Pee Wee Herman. I've, I, in fact, as an adult, I dressed up as Pee Wee Herman even a couple years ago when a, a holiday costume contest uh, i brought globy and my date was cherry which is great because it was like weird peewee hooked up with cherry after that party so globy watched standing <laughs> globy was like hey, over here peewee <laughs> um no the it's over there peewee Sever- sorry i was being a little bit sexual there um so that came out so we got to know the you know peewee herman paul rubens who was actually well known if you were a Cheech and Chong fan, uh, had a, a pretty pretty memorable role in Cheech and Chong's Nice Dream. Mr. Hamburger! Would you like a and hamburger? And he was in Cheech and Chong's next movie, too. Correct. He was also in uh, Blues Brothers, correct? Yes. He was a waiter was at the a, restaurant? Yes, he was He was the waiter at the Shea Paul restaurant. Correct, at the Shea Paul. And so he was, uh, but if you knew him from the Cheech and Chong, he's the cocaine guy in Nice Dreams. 
Um, I'm not sorry I took the money. So funny. Um, And he moved to the mainstream. But stand-up comic from the Groundlings Theater in L.A. And, uh, you know, became Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which started, obviously, a really cool era of of positive, uh, for me at least, I was everything Pee Wee. I had the Pee Wee doll. I dressed as Pee Wee. I did it. I did the. I did. I was in talent shows as Pee Wee doing the te- tequila dance. I'm not kidding. There were so many times. Pee Wee for me was probably the biggest thing that I was a fan of in that like two, three, four year window from 19 was 80, 80, uh, 85, 85 when the film came out. And then into like, and it never went away, obviously. When he made his little comeback, he was in the movie Blow. After all, obviously, the, the stuff that happened with the adult, adult theater that today we laugh at because it's like, what's the big deal? Um, you know, he was in the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer. and Batman Returns at the beginning. Batman Returns, correct. He was the father, the Cobblepot father, right? Was he, wasn't he the Yes, parent? he was. Um, he was, yeah, he was uh, Cobblepot. He was the Penguin's father. Right. And then you have, obviously, Blow, which was a great movie where he plays uh, George Jung's... Um, um, connection to help sell the cocaine in LA and weed in LA or whatever. And so he was really funny in that or good in that. He was also the spleen in legendary film mystery men. Um, if you want to see my secret power, just pull my finger. Um, love that film. Great film. <laughs> I was always deemed to be he who dealt it. Sorry. So funny that if you've never seen mystery men, get on it. Great cast, hilarious movie, but, um, yeah, that that big week. So I know you got a Pee Wee Herman story. I mean, my Pee Wee Herman stories can go all day long. So I I, I mean, I don't want to be the one that hogs the Pee Wee spotlight. What do you got? I know you got a story about Pee Wee. Tell me, Mike, what is your Pee Wee's big adventure? I got, I got two stories. First, I remember going to see Pee Wee's Big Adventure at the Ford City Theaters in Chicago, and it was it had to be. I was out. It was summer break for school, so. I took the bus from my house to Ford city with a couple friends and we had to be, there was three of, it was me. Yeah. There were three of us, maybe eight people total in the show. And again, this is like some random Tuesday afternoon, something like that. The three of us were the only ones laughing. The other people walked out halfway through (laughs) the movie. They walked out. They walked out at this line. Everybody's got a big butt. Tell me about your big butt. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is where they walked out. That's Simone, correct? Yes. Inside the mouth of the T-Rex at, by the way, I've been there. I've been there to that dinosaur display. It's in between. It's by Palm Springs. I was going to Coachella on the way to Coachella. Ate my edible. And all of a sudden I'm like, did I just see that? Hold on. My buddy Josh, I'm like, oh, 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 hold up. I'm like, turn around. Like, turn the car around. Go back up the freeway, and there it is on the right side of the road. The dinosaurs in the place that they filmed Pee Wee's Big Adventure and the movie The Wizard with Fred Savage. California. If you've never seen that one, that's when his little brother is like a video game player, and he goes and they hide in the dinosaurs there too. But they're there. It's uh, it's actually like an old, um, I think it's like a dinosaur oil, what do they call it? The tar pit, like a tar pit or something. But yeah, sorry, I had to interrupt. I've seen those dinosaurs from that scene though. Yeah. And it's not like it is in the movies. You can't really get into the mouth and all that stuff and watch the right. sunrise. But, but that's where, part. that's where her boyfriend is waiting outside for him. Andy. Cause he, yeah. Cause Andy. Cause he hears, he hears the, tell me about your big butt <laughs> and he misconstrues what it means. Go figure. But the other story I have is about my uncle. <laughs> Now, my uncle Jimmy, God rest his soul, 
he he had to be about in his 60s at this time and this is like 1987 88 uh we had taped we had don't tell anyone but we had two vcrs at home so we took the peewee movie and recorded it and onto a a videotape so my uncle jimmy used to always love to do shit to me pull jokes and stuff like that he had an apartment on 63rd street and he would he never locked the door and the rule was I would knock on the door. If no one answered, I was okay to just walk in and drop off what I needed to drop off. So one day I knocked on the door, I walked in and there he was sitting there smirking with his girlfriend. He was naked on the couch and she was rubbing his feet. <laughs> yes. What the? Freaked me. Yeah. Freaked me out. So, but I got even with him though. So one day my dad says, Hey, take these movies over to him. He's looking for something to watch. Okay, whatever. So, you know, this is before I had a car. I had my own car, I should say. So anytime I got to drive my parents' car, it was like, all right, this is cool. So I got in the car drove, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to play a joke on him for once. So I took the peewee tape and I brought it over. I knock on the door. He answers. I walk in. I said, Oh, here, my dad told me to drop these off. He said, the movie on the top, he said, you'll really like. It's your kind of movie. He said <laughs> He said something about porno. He's like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> so I leave, and by the time, and he lived about 10 miles from where we lived at the time. Mm-hmm. And remember, I was, a high, I was a high school kid at this point. He lived about 10 miles from where we lived. So I got back home. He had already called my dad screaming at my dad. Do you know what your son did? He came over here and told me this movie was a porno. And I just see this weird guy going, the whole time. And he ain't even jerking off. What the hell's wrong with him? (laughs) He really took Pee Wee's big adventure to the uh, next level. To the extreme. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Every so every so often when I'd see him, I'd just go, hey, hey, hey. he goes, little fucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the beauty he, he he was an Irish carpenter, so language was something to be enjoyed when he was around. <laughs> and that's the beauty of Pee Wee is like what it meant to like so many different things. I mean, you think about what spun off of that. I mean, obviously the uh the Pee Wee the was it the Pee Wee's Playhouse um stand up routine, which was um Actually, I think it was an HBO special back in like around the same time, 85, yeah. 84. It was adult. It was very adult humor. Like it was childlike wonder with adult humor. The There's one scene in or one little bit that he does on his stage play with Missy with, with uh, I think it's Missy Vaughn or a Missy Vaughn type character. And uh, she comes out and he puts mirrors on his shoes so he can look up her skirt or her dress. Right. And uh so she comes out and he's like, hey, hey, hey. he's like looking at like, trying to like, like look at it. And she sees it. She goes, Peewee, really uh, mirrors on your shoes or whatever. Don't even bother. It's a waste of your time. I'm not even wearing underwear. And then Peewee's like, oh, uh, like, he, like he's disappointed. Obviously the, the joke and the humor is of course, she's letting free balling it basically. And he's, that's not, he was trying to see underwear. He didn't care about what he was actually seeing with no underwear. Because he's yeah. Pee Wee, he's looking for the underwear. So that's like adult jokes that adults would get. Kids would be like, what? It, like, you, it would go right over your head. So very adult. And so he did, you know, a lot of his jokes were 
cater to both adults and it was kind of like SpongeBob where it's like it can be both. You can entertain kids with it because it's, you know, you got, I mean, look at all the people. Phil Hartman. Um, Calvin Curtis was um, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne was, right? I Dan mean, Hooks was in it too, wasn't mm-hmm, she? Mm-hmm. And I mean, Miss Yvonne, I mean, gosh, Miss Yvonne. Um, she was, um, who is, she's been a billion things too. Miss Yvonne, Lynn, Lynn Marie Stewart. She's also Charlie Day's mom. In it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Missy Vaughn is Charlie Day's mother. If you've never noticed and, that, I just blew your mind because his mother is Charlie Day's mom. She's yeah. been on the Pee Wee Herman show since 1981. The Pee Wee Herman show, which was the stand-up routine, she was on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and she's also Charlie Day's mom, who <laughs> is very funny on that show. She's always been in comedy and stuff. Wasn't oh, was it Victoria Jackson? Wasn't she on there too? Yes. Mm-hmm. From because Sa- you'll notice there's a lot of people who went on to Saturday Night Live after being on there. Yeah, you've got um, let's see here, um, Bill Hartman, you've got Jan Hooks, Fishburne, Victoria Jackson, Reba the Mail well, Carrier was um, uh, Sharon Merkerson, who if I'm not going crazy, I mean she's a she's a she's won like a Tony two Tony Awards, she's won a Screen Actors Guild Award, a Golden Globe, an Emmy, um. She's been on, you know, she obviously was on Pee Wee's Playhouse, but she was also in other films like, I don't know, uh, Lincoln, um, Jersey Girl, Radio, Random Hearts, T2, Judgment Day. She's the wife of uh, Dyson's wife. She was in Navy SEALs, Jacob's Ladder, which is creepy. You know, TV show-wise, she was in Law & Order, The Cosby Show, um, Frasier for a second, um, Lackawanna Blues. She actually won um, for Best Actress, um, Golden Globe, and... Two outs in the ninth. Get ready to chug. So you got her. She was also on that. Um, let's see here. I don't know who that is. Jose Ruiz mowing down the Cubs. Did you know? Oh, my God. So one of the members of the original Playhouse gang, the Playhouse, the Wee's Playhouse gang in the first season, two members you will know today. Natasha Leone, who was in the Jessica in American Pie. Um, oh, wow. Right? You know who that is. And she's yes. also in Orange is the New Black. Um, she was on the original Pee Wee Herman gang. And one of our biggest tragic stories um, of, of, of child actors that we have is monitored. Sean Weiss was also a member of that first Pee Wee's crew. He's also known as the Mighty Ducks goalie um, yes. who ha- hasn't been able to stay sober and has been in and out of jail, methamphetamine. Um, and I guess as of and- 230 days, uh, as of September 2020, he had been sober for 230 days. Good for him. But he's like the most, it's the most almost uncomfortable before and after pictures to see. But those two guys, were they were in the, the Pee Wee gang. Allison Porter, who's a singer, who was also in Curly Sue, I believe, the show Curly Sue, or the movie Curly Sue. Um, she's uh And this ball game on the is over oh it means i gotta chug uh, let's see who else any other names i see that are like a little more familiar but yeah peewee's they brought a lot of culture uh and into the yes. and of course obviously they brought back the Wee herman show as a stand-up thing back uh like probably like 10 12 years ago he made a kind of a resurgence um and they had the Wee herman movie that was filmed that came out Wee's big holiday that just came out a couple years ago i actually got to film where they filmed the town they filmed it uh, at the beginning, where his hometown is, quote unquote, that's actually where we had our film shoot a couple years ago when I worked on the Disney lot. We uh, we did a, we had to do a train, a bunch of train sequences, and that's where the train was located. There's a there's an actual lot there that's a train lot for film that you can go in there. It's owned by um, Disney, I believe, and you go in there and they have like a bunch of trains. It, it's one of the trains from Westworld. 
um, was on there. So like, it's like all the different age eras of trains, like modern trains, old trains, old West trains, all of them are on there. And then there you can film them. And when you film there, they're stationary trains. They're not moving. So you have to, st- you, you set your lights outside and you spin the lights to make it look like you're, or you green screen up the windows. So it's actually interesting to see, like, it, they're all stationary trains that you see in these movies. In Westworld, the first scene in Westworld when they're on the train heading into this park, I was on that train. That's where we filmed our train. And they literally put green screens over the window and decorated it as an old West train, and that's what they filmed. They actually moved one of those trains to Utah for a couple of the scenes as well. But um, that's cool. So any cool connection. So movies again, we're, now that we're talking movies, I know you want to talk about a documentary that just came out on Netflix. I want to talk about Suicide Squad as well. So let's go. Let's let's keep it a baseball connection since there's a John Jay connection <laughs> with the Cocaine yes. Cowboys documentary. Now, if you've not seen the original Cocaine Cowboys, uh, that was a documentary that came out about ten years ago, I believe, um, that documented the big cocaine uh, um, wars and whatever during the, eight, the late seventies and the eighties, um, and uh, in Miami, which was obviously the, the Wild West, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was directed by a guy named Billy Corbin. Um, so he directed the first one was. Um, cocaine Cowboys, and that was 06. Wow, it's been 14 years, 15 years, actually. Okay, so that was just about the rise in the Miami drug war. Did the second one called Cocaine Cowboys 2, Hustling with the Godmother, which is the documentary on um, Griselda Blanco, who was arguably the most dangerous, uh, at least American-based, uh, drug, um, what do you want to call it, Car- drug cartel, whatever, leader. And so they haven't done anything since those. That came out in 08. They did like a redo, like a Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, like an updated version of it in 14. And this one is a Netflix series called Cocaine Cowboys, The Kings of Miami, a six-part documentary that focuses specifically on Sal Maglata and Willie Falcone, two of the big Miami drug kingpins who were also like championship boat racers, speedboat racers in Miami. And their, their decades of battling and staying out of prison with the, you know, whether it's, you know, the cocaine industry itself, murder, bribing jurors, an incredible story. And I know you were going nuts and there was a John Jay connection to this as well. <laughs> but uh, what did you think? I mean, I, I watched it. I binge watched the whole thing. I watched all, I sat down and watched all six hours after my first day of school on Wednesday last week when it came out. Um, I came home. I got home at two. I watched it. My girlfriend had an event that night. I watched it all the way up until like, I, I went to bed at like 10, 11. I'd watched the whole thing. It was fantastic. So what do you think? I, I wound up binge watching it on Friday after the after the ball game. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the 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 lengths they went to to stay out of jail, not only legal maneuvering but other activities that they performed to stay out of jail is shocking. The the idiocy of some people around them was shocking, and Junto. Junto J, I hope I said his name right. Jun, is it Junto? Junto? Junto J. <laughs> Someone's talking about just the, the lawyer? Is it the, no, that's not the, the... No. No, he was one of the distribution... Oh, Jun, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the... Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. he's one of the gang... Yeah, because they had like six yeah. people in their crew. And it was the same boat yeah. racing crew as well. Yes. And the one guy is currently back to boat racing mm-hmm. after he spent 12 years in prison. But... Junto J, Justo, 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 J, Justo J, Justo, okay, Justo, Justo J, is the father of John J. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of this documentary, they are going through a "Where are they now?" segment, <laughs> and they talk about Justo J 
and they show a clip of his son, John Jay, playing baseball for the Chicago White Sox. Now, he spent more time with just about every other team he's been with, but they have to show him in a White Sox uniform in this documentary. It's like, this team can't win at all. You know, we get reminded, not only do you get reminded of the Machado fiasco, but you get reminded that this guy was the son of a uh, affiliated uh, affiliated member of a drug of a drug kingpin kingpin organization as well and but part of me had to chuckle when that came out because it's in the very last episode at the end mm-hmm. you know there's no mention of it whatsoever till the very end of the last episode and i texted kevin friday night after i saw like are you effing kidding me <laughs> It's such, and of course, he's in the White Sox uniform too. That, that cracked me up even yes. more is that they use that yes. pick. But this crazy right. part, and you'll see it in the documentary, John Jay, obviously, his dad, Justo, was sentenced to 115 years in prison. Yes. Turned state's evidence after 19 years was paroled. When he was actually, and this is, they don't cover this in the actual documentary, but God, obviously, when you see that, you want to start digging. You're like, really? Whoa, what? What? And so he got out of prison a month before John Jay's first major league baseball appearance in, in the show. So he got out, he had, he was in prison. So you can imagine getting out of prison and the, a month out of you get out of prison, your son plays their first major league game. So that was an interesting thing, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it's the documentary as a whole, the John Jay connection is one thing, what these guys did. And, and the documentary is great. I love these. I, I honestly, you, you give me a, like an eighties cartel cocaine miami mm-hmm. whatever documentary i'm in it i love it i love i mean i'm a documentary nerd anyway but i love like i, I mean i've watched narcos a billion times too but i love i watch pablo escobar, every pablo escobar doc i can get um or you're talking about they just had one on um uh i want to say national geographic it was like uh, or narco wars maybe there's something like that and um the whole episode focused on george jung who was obviously johnny depp's character in the movie blow and there's another one about the uh, the pilot that uh, took the pictures of Pablo Escobar, you know, putting the drugs onto the plane that was flying for both the CIA and running guns for the CIA in the narc and the um, the Contras. At the same time, was uh, flying cocaine and being, you know, Tom Cruise just played him in the movie American. Uh, what is it, American? American made. American made, right? American made, wasn't it? Yeah, and his character and like so, you know, it's a it's a story about. Um, crap Barry Seal Barry Seal so like all these documentaries I just I, I eat them up and the Cocaine Cowboys one was maybe my favorite so the fact that they turned this into you know a lengthy documentary about these guys it's insane though like the bribery of the jurors and like how they how it was all brought down like they're on the run using fake IDs hiding in plain sight and just changing their IDs on their license um, just to sit around and, and obviously like how they smuggled the drugs and you know the drug dealing is only like episode one and everything else is like the fallout of now, like basically once they were under duress, I guess, from the government. And the the the, the whole thing was fantastic. It's entertaining. I actually got retweeted by the by uh, by uh, Billy Corbin because um, I, I sat down and watched it. And I'm like Miami in the eighties was wild. Smash, not smashing pumpkin, Billy Corbin. No, that's Cor again. Corbin. This is Corbin. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yes. But uh, and so. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, dude. But each episode's 50 minutes or so, and there's six of them. Yes. So you can binge watch them. You'll end up binge watching, binge watching them if you're a big fan of like these types of documentaries. But if not, mm-hmm. they come, you can take them in, in moderate. I'm probably going to rewatch this again. 
I think my girlfriend actually would enjoy it because it's again the, the trial stuff was just so interesting to me. But uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, they talk about how they bribed three jurors to acquit them, mm-hmm. um, and it it's fascinating because some of the people who they interview were direct participants, not only in the drug ring, but also one of the jurors who was bribed. Who at first you don't you don't think she was one of the ones that was bribed, but it comes out later on that she was one of the ones that was bribed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then and they have video of the, of the juror in question. It, it's really fascinating to watch. Right. And like the one girl that was negotiating, she's like, I'll do it for 20,000. Not knowing yeah. that the other juror on the previous trial got 200,000. Hilarious. She thought she was big league in the guy, like meeting at like a Chili's or something in Florida yeah. or something. It's like, I want 20,000. And, and the, the weird, crazy got 500,000. Yeah. Right. And I have a mill. And she's like, Oh, I want tw- Whoops. I should have asked for more. Um, the guy, yeah. the big, the big scary guy on this too is it's Falcone is okay. He's a little bit, um, tough, but the, the Sal guy, Sal Magluta or whatever. Yes. Um, he's still in prison. He ain't getting out. He's the he's, one that really, he's actually in prison in Marion, Illinois now. Correct. He was at the Supermax in um yes. in Colorado where they had like the Unabomber and like all those people and then they sued to get him out. He's crazy. He was convicted on bribing jurors, obstruction of justice and money laundering. Guilty on 12 of 39 counts. But the judge knowing who he was and really what he was guilty of gave him the maximum possible sentence on all 12 of them concurrently and was sentenced to in what a normal you'd get like a 10-year sentence. He was sentenced to 205 years in federal prison. So if you're looking for a happy-go-lucky story, if you've known this story, these guys, obviously, it's a kind of a known story. It's kind of like if you're watching Narcos and you don't know that Pablo Escobar's dead, <laughs> sorry, I can't help you there. Um, but he got 205 years for what would be a normally like a 10-year sentence, but because of the drug dealing stuff, he was the one that stayed out of prison the longest. Um, mm-hmm. He got that. Actually, a lot of these guys got out. Falcone is out. Is Falcone out now? I think Falcone's even out. Falcone, Falcone is out. He was extradited to Cuba. Cuba. No, 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 no. Dominican. No, he, the he, DR. He, or... he, no, he was supposed to go to Cuba, but he protested. So they sent him to the Dominican and then the Dominican got upset about who he was and he quote unquote disappeared and no one knows where he is. Now. That's right. So you got all that. And the other, and the other Falcone brother was hiding in plain sight in Palm Beach, in Palm Beach, Florida for 20 Five years was oh, it? Oh, that's right. He's the one that just recently got. He was going into prison when yeah, he got, what's his name were getting out was getting out. Everyone else was getting out. When his brother was getting out. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Like, yeah. hey buddy, see you at the so check in. <laughs> the one brother Yeah, the one brother went into hiding in the early in ninety one, I wanna say, he went into hiding. And no one knew where he was for twenty six, twenty seven years, something like that. It turns out he was hiding in plain sight in Palm Beach, Florida, under a different name, and was there the whole time. That's like that's it's this whole documentary blows your mind with all these like yes how these I just again I mean it's the eighties man it's just so wild like this is actually closer to uh, the the story of Tony Montana as well um, not nearly as violent um, there are obviously some big time murders and stuff but two Cubans. Yeah. You know, and one's a womanizer. You get and some of these characters are so colorful. Um, on the um, the, uh, the some of the interviews, like the one guy, legitimately reminded me of um, Tony Montana's buddy 
in, in the guy's always <laughs> the womanizer, the womanizer, right? The guy's like, yes. well, you do that with your tongue. Like he does that thing with his tongue. It's like, that's how you get yeah. the ladies. Um, that guy, like first, all you these... get the, first you get the money, then you get the, then you get the power, then you get the ladies, then you get the women. Okay. And he's like, la, 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 with his tongue. He's like, well, you do it with your tongue. You look like a lizard. Um, and so it, that guy's story is just crazy too. So that's, a, if you get a chance to watch it, it's on Netflix. It's a great documentary. Um, if you love the cocaine cowboys, the other ones, I, I, I told my, my, my best friend, Derek, he's like, I've already seen cocaine cowboys. I'm like, no dude, it's, it's the series. It's not the same as cocaine cowboys one and cocaine cowboys two. This is cocaine cowboys three, but as like a six hour miniseries, basically. So if you love those, or if you love just the cartel stories, cause the eight, it's just so wild. I just, I, these guys had millions of dollars in boxes in their closets for God's sakes. Like someone tried to move some stuff out to make room and a box of, of hundreds falls on top of them. They almost like get killed by like, you know, getting crushed to death by a box full of millions of dollars. Like it's just nuts. And this was the eighties in Florida. It was the wild West. And yes, it, it, you know, the, we think about what goes, I mean, Florida's that whole area. I mean, we you talk about Epstein and like the Trump's and they all live there and the stuff that goes, that, that whole area has, there's been so much that, I think the Epstein stuff is the tip of the iceberg of the insanity of stuff that's happened in that area over the course of the last 30, 40 years. Like it just, it was like unpoliced almost, or at least if you had enough money, you were just, you took care, you were taken care of. It reminds me of Vegas yeah. in a way. Uh, and, and, and some of those kind of like in senses, but a lot worse, I think than, than here. I think that that, cause of that, it's proximity to the water helps make them, you know, so that was a good one, but that's good doc. So if you get to see it, great. You know, another one that just came out, um, and I know I'm not sure if you've seen this one yet, Pete, but uh, it came out on H. It's it's one of those. It's one of the final dual releases from HBO Max uh, that came out both on HBO Max Wednesday night at midnight, as well as um, it came out obviously in theaters this weekend, which is James Gunn, director of um, Guardians Guardi of the Galaxy, right? Correct, Guardians of the Galaxy, Slither, um, which is one of my favorite R-rated gore films about basically these these slugs that take over a whole town. Uh, it's awesome and hilarious and gross and totally R-rated. James Gunn, also his, one of his first films, if you didn't know this, James Gunn's first, one of his first films was actually the Toxic Avenger. Um, oh, God. And so James, Gunn's, know, James Gunn has a, uh, has a really, really... Oh, no, not, not Toxic Avenger. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Incorrect. From the people that made Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet. Sorry. That was his first film in 96. He directed the Scooby-Doo movie. He uh, oh, he or he wrote the Scooby wrote he, he wrote the Freddie Prince Jr. Scooby Doo movie correct okay. wrote it didn't didn't direct it he also wrote Dawn of the Dead with uh, Zack Snyder he also wrote Scooby Doo two and Dawn then his the his Shaun of the Dead Dawn Dawn of the Dead like the, the Dawn of the Dead that that Zack Snyder got big pub for the one in the mall oh um, gotcha okay. that was Zack Snyder's big one that blew him up um and got him the three hundred job Slither was his first like it was him straight on his feature film. We would call it his directorial debut on a feature film since he was only an associate director for Tromeo, but Slither and then super, which is the, the movie with what's his name? Uh, Rain Wilson, who thinks he's a superhero, uh, kind of a funny kind of quirky one movie 43, which is a parody of a bunch of uh, like directed and produced co-directed by him and the Farrelly brothers. And then guardians of the galaxy, which we know is fantastic. Marvel. Great. The Belko experiment he directed which is the, the office. It's with uh, John Gallagher where they're all locked in the office and they've got to kill everybody and whoever survives at the end gets to live. Um, and then, which is kind of obviously one of those corporate things. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he directed some stuff in an executive manner with the, uh, um, 
you know, Avengers, Endgame, and Infinity War. Yeah. He produced um, Brightburn, which is like a superhero, like scary movie where like, what if Superman was evil? Then he did this Suicide Squad. He's also executive producer of Thor and Love and Thunder. Um, there is, so we'll talk about the cast here in a second, but he's also obviously currently working on Guardians of the Galaxy and Coyote versus Acme. He's directing a, a film. So that uh, should be interesting. But uh, the Suicide Squad itself is not a sequel, but it is a sequel to the Suicide Squad that came out in 2016 from uh, Ayers. Um, which, which was which was not a good movie. Which was panned by a lot of people. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't great. And it was part of that like Marvel fatigue, I think, at that point, too. Everyone was disappointed with Justice League and blah, 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 blah. This one's fully R-rated. Well, part um, of the problem that DC... I was going to say, part of the problem that DC has is the Dark Knight saga set the bar so freaking high, they'll never be able to achieve that. It's, I mean, they, they not, they, I wouldn't say never, because uh, Matt Vaughn is fantastic. And so the new Batman, the new The Batman film might be very, very good. And it's got a blockbuster cast. So I, I'm not going to say never. But yeah, and I think that it also hurts that Disney owns Marvel and Disney uses its every single ounce of its power and, and its influence to make sure that their rivals at DC don't get that quality of, I mean, the mouse is the mouse. We know the mouse does yeah. what the mouse does. The mouse and, fucks bats too. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Yes, it does. That's how COVID started. Thank you, South Park. Um, so it's a standalone sequel. So it's not a sequel, like a, like a direct sequel. It's also right. not a re. It's not a reboot. It's because it, same characters and actors are in this that were in Suicide Squad. Margot Robbie still plays um, um, Harley Quinn. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I always forget his name. John Cena's in it now. I, I and yeah, but you got Joel Kinnaman uh, who plays Rick Flag again. You've got mm. um, oh, what's um, the woman? Viola Davis. Dio- yes. Viola Davis still plays. She runs Task Force X. Still, Jay Courtney is still Captain Boomerang. Um, so you've got a lot of characters that were in the first of this that are in this one as the same characters. So it's a standalone sequel in the sense that it just it basically picks. It doesn't even like like the first one kind of almost like has that slow build so they can like introduce all the characters. This one it's right into it. We we already know that they use these guys as 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 controlled warriors and as, as suicide squads with that bomb in their neck. This one just is basically, here we go. It kicks it right off. First thing is the mission. And so it's fantastic. It's R-rated. Very clear on this, guys. A lot of gore, a lot of cussing, a lot of violence. Uh, but the cast I itself... I heard the gore starts at the very beginning. First, too. right out of the gate, dude. They kill a bird. Like It's like, what? Um, and, and it just goes. And so you got obviously Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie, who's fantastic. She's gorgeous. And she's really good in this. This, this is Harley Quinn as it should be. The, 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 the standalone Harley Quinn movie was terrible. Hated it. Um, Harley Quinn is, is a good character that is perfect in these types of roles. Um, you don't need too much of Harley Quinn. Um, just like you don't need too much of, you know, any of these types of characters, these, these, you know, I don't need a whole Joker film either. You know, I need Joker being a part of something and that's what their character is. And so Harley Quinn is her, I just elbow plays Bloodsport um, or Roger, Robert Dubois, who's, uh, he can pretty much, this is great too. He, he can, in, in his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. And then you got John Cena who plays Peacemaker, who in his hand, everything is a deadly weapon. They are basically the same exact people. It's hilarious. Um, they're both perfect. Like, and of course, John Cena's difference is he will achieving peace at any cost. He would eat an entire beach of dicks for freedom. Um, he would kill every woman and child and man in this room for freedom. He's that kind of guy. Whereas Dubois Bloodsport is more conflicted. He's more of a leader, but yeah, John Cena plays peacemaker. Hilarious. He's hysterical in it. 
Rick Flagg, again, Joel Kinnaman. You know Joel Kinnaman. He's been in a bunch of other stuff as well. But I have a question about Peacemaker. Uh Uh-huh. Does he need to do that if there's family? Ooh, see, (laughs) his brother is. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Vin Diesel. (laughs) I like blanked on Vin Diesel's name. (laughs) Um, So I couldn't resist. No, I know. It's like, hey, Vin Diesel. You have had this brother the whole time, and you talk about family and all nine of these Fast and the Furious, and just now we're learning you have a brother? Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, Sylvester Stallone, this is the best part. King Shark. <laughs> King Shark, which is a gigantic man-eating fish-human hybrid, is played by Sylvester Stallone. So when you see <laughs> King Shark go, hand friend it's all sylvester stallone and he's hilarious um gun even said he gave him a dad bod to make him look less like a mammal <laughs> so he's very similar to like a groot character except obviously he eats people alive so and he says more than just i am groot yeah he actually cusses actually he says he drops the f-bomb in this one um jay courtney plays captain boomerang the guy throws the boomerang and drinks you know energy drinks um, the Thinker, uh, Project Starfish is the name of like the projects. Of course, there's a lot of butthole jokes. You know, Polka Dot Man, which is uh, David Desmalkin, who, who actually was in The Dark Knight he, in, in the second one. He's also in, um, he's in a bunch of other was stuff. He? he was also in um, Ant-Man as well. He's the guy that um, that Harvey Dent tries to kill in the alley because he's he's, he's at Arkham. He's oh, the, the guy yeah. that they the think one. shot. Yeah, the... the... The guy who's escaped from Arkham and was wearing the, the badge that had what's her name on it. Yes. So he's he plays polka dot man. He shoots polka dots. Rat catcher is uh, Daniela Melchior. She's 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 graceful. She's awesome in this. She plays the rat catcher too. Her dad actually is a cameo. I'll keep that as a secret. But her dad is a special cameo as well, who seems to be popping up in tons of films. So that's a cameo that you'll like. There's also a, a character. <laughs> He's just a weasel. I don't even know. He's just a weasel. He's just, he's at the beginning when they introduce him at the beginning. It's hilarious. Cause he's insane. Like he's just a weasel. Like he's, he's not dangerous. Well, he is kind of dangerous. He ate 23 children or whatever, but, <laughs> um, and you got Michael Rooker plays a guy named Savant. Who's like a really good thrower. You got a, um, Pete Davidson plays blackguard. Uh, who's a mercenary. Oh, wow. You got TDK also known as the, the detachable kid played by Nate Fillion. Uh, again, Sean Gunn, his brother plays the weasel. I did not know this until just now. Um, and uh, which is his brother. If you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, he's the guy I always joke looks like Aaron Rodgers. He's like the second in command. He's the yeah, he's the co pilot to uh, uh, Michael Rooker. Michael, yeah, to yeah. Michael Rooker. Yeah, which is funny. So he's in this movie. So he's in all the James Gunn movies. He's actually, he plays himself uh, as well as uh, he plays the weasel, but he also has a regular cameo as himself in the prison. He's kind of funny in that. Um, you got Javelin. Fula, Flula Borg. If you don't know who Flula Borg is, he's the, um, I, I see he's Dutch. I want to say he's Dutch. Um, where is he from? Uh, well, he's German. Excuse me. Yeah, he's West German. He's the guy that's like, uh, they talk about people going to be a, a, a party pooper. I just don't get this. Why do people poop at parties? I don't, I would not invite someone who comes and poops at my party. Like he's hilarious. He's really funny. He's a DJ too. So he plays Javelin. Um, and then you got Mongol. I don't even know who played Mongol. Her, uh, her name is Mailing Ngi. Um, and then, uh, you got other characters in there as well. Um, some of like the usual suspects, but it's, it's hilarious. It's on HBO max. If you want to see it on TV, you can watch it tonight. If you have HBO max, I personally, I recommend seeing it in as big a format as possible. I went and saw it at, 
our AMC, we've talked about it on the show before, the AMC Dolby Cinema here. The It's one of the four projectors in the country in, uh, that has this quality of picture and sound and everything. I saw it there. Fantastic. But it's worth seeing. It's funny. It's gory. It's all gratuitous. And I, my buddy laughed so hard next to me. At one point, he couldn't laugh for like 30 minutes. He laughed himself out. He hasn't done that since the movie Old School when Wingsy throws his... Uh, his brick through the uh, the manhole cover with it tied to his wing. <laughs> that was the last time he laughed out. Um, and he laughed out again in this one. So it's been a while. It's been like 15, 16 years since he's laughed out that bad in a the theater. But he's one of those guys who, when you go see a movie, like his laugh is so loud that it's almost funny into itself. And when he laughs, when no one else is laughing, the rest of the theater laughs with him just because they're laughing at his laugh. Because his is a woo, <laughs> woo, woo, woo kind of laugh. And it's like, oh God, here he goes. So when he laughed, that was actually a gift to me. I can actually enjoy the 30 minutes of quiet, but quiet, but it's worth seeing. It's a, it's very much, it, it borrows off the dirty dozen and the great escape and will Eagles dare and Kelly's heroes. Those are all influences, but it's also comic book. It's also co-produced with Zach and, and, and Deborah Snyder. It's great. I can't wait. If he does another one, I, I'm there for it. So it's a good, good, good thing. Check it out. So I recommend it. It's not as bad. It's the first one is, Nothing. This one's one of the best, if not one of the better, modern DC non-Dark Knight trilogy editions mm-hmm. in all of DC, period. I say this, I don't say this lightly. It might be number one or number two non-Dark Knight DC film ever made. That's wow. a lot. That's saying a lot. Because I loved, Aquaman was good. I loved the original Wonder Woman. The first Wonder Woman was fantastic. Um, I liked I, Aquaman. I thought Man of, Man of Steel was a little boring at times. Mm. Uh, but... Overall, it was a decent movie. Uh, like I've said all along, The Dark Knight is by a mile the single best superhero movie ever made. Mm-hmm. By a mile. I mean, Iron Man was very good. Spider-Man 2 with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man mm-hmm. 2 was phenomenal. That's the one with uh, Dr. Octopus. Correct. Uh, Reprising his role in the new Spider-Man as well as Tobey Maguire and uh, Andrew Garfield yes. are all going to be in the new yes. Spider-Man. And it's all leaking out, by the way, that they all three are co-stars of the film. It's not just a cameo. So nice. keep your eyes peeled on that trailer. So, it might be dropping here real soon. Venom too. I like so Venom. There, so there's got to be like a, a parallel Marvel universe. It's a multiverse. Yeah. They, they've opened up the multiverse at this point. So between that and Dr. Strange, uh, the multiverse in the new show that's coming out on Di- on Disney called What If. It's also canon. It's the uh, alternate t- um, existences or multiverses. Where, like, say, for I example, of the What If comic book yep. as a kid. Yep, and it's I that. Loved it. So it's yeah. like if Carter got the super serum instead, she mm-hmm. became Captain, you know, Captain America or whatever it would be, or yeah, what would happen if 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 um, Warmonger had saved Tony Stark instead of him having to build Iron Man? Like, what would have happened in that world? Yeah. So the one I always remember is. What if Electra had lived? Mm-hmm. Correct, and and then you have like the, the alternate timeline. So that's there's a builder building that out. So anyway, that was a total side note with the new Spider Man. The trailer should be dropping here soon. But I also like Joker. I thought Joker, the Joker from Todd Phillips. It's not a part of the DC EU yes. though. But Correct. as far as the DC film, I thought that was a great DC film. One of the more again, it was Oscar Oscars up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, deserve and deserve it Oscar for as weird as the dude is. Um, uh, God, I'm blanking on Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. I almost said River. I'm like, I know it ain't River. Shazam was uh, really good too. I really I enjoyed Shazam. I wasn't a big fan of Shazam. I wasn't a big fan of Justice League, but I haven't watched the 
the uh, Snyder Cut Justice League Snyder Cut. That's better, way better. I don't I, I I don't even I I can't I won't even watch the old Justice League ever again. If it's on, I turn it off. I, I the, the Zack Snyder Cut is diametrically a hundred percent better film. Period. Mm-hmm. Like not even close. You know, I mean, but nowhere near it just, Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Batman versus Superman. I was like, eh. And the thing, and and I admit, part of my thing about Batman versus Superman after seeing Christian Bale as Batman and seeing Ben Affleck I'm like he ruined Daredevil now you're going to make him Batman two of my favorite comic book characters come on give me a break yes yeah, it's, it's funny this uh this DCEU thing doesn't include it only includes Suicide Squad and then everything after Suicide Squad it doesn't include like Batman versus Superman you know what is that Rise of Justice or whatever it was called or yeah yeah and then obviously Man of Steel, but I didn't hate those. But yeah, this one—that's what I'm saying. Like behind, maybe Wonder Woman. When it comes to the DCEU, yeah, this is. And again, I—I I don't see. I'm, it's kind of. A, I, I almost need to watch it again to decide. I, I, it might be the best of the DCEU films, but it's great. It's fun. It's such. A, it's such a popcorn movie. We're getting to the point now where movies are, next week is Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Oh yes, that um, looks really good. Everything is starting to come out now. We're now at this point where. All these films that we've been they've they've hung on to are all starting to drop now, and we're going to well, start getting a lot more good film here in the next like two to three months. I'm so ex- yeah, I'm they're, stoked. They're dropping them now in the hopes that theaters don't close again. Right, which it looks like will I be mean, okay. Yeah, that kind of one. I hope. Um, and with that said, school starting tomorrow. Oh, lucky you! For me, I go back to school tomorrow. My first day with students tomorrow. We've been back for it since Wednesday with uh, pre stuff, but tomorrow's my first day with kids. Should be interesting. It's been a long time. I'm, we're getting like I'm, uh, our principal flat out told us we're getting seventh graders that haven't been in a classroom since they were in seventh graders. They're freshmen now. They're 14 years old, and apparently at like open day, the first day of the uh, the uh, the freshman orientation, my principal said 20 percent of the boys that were coming for for this, and, and we had a, like 600 kids show up. Like 20 percent, 20 percent of the boys that showed up were holding their mom's hands the whole time. Oh. I mean, we're talking about a developmental thing with, with not just the kids, but with moms that have had little Jimmy longer than most moms get little Jimmy. At seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, they start weaving, you know, weaving away or you know, weaning themselves off of mommy. Whereas the shutdown, they've been with mommy this whole time. So mommies are going to have this separation anxiety. The kids are going to have this separation anxiety. Some of these kids aren't going to know how to like be social. So I'm really curious as tomorrow is like how this is going to go. Now, my class is high energy. You guys listen to me talk here. My class is high energy, but... I'm we she's like nobody looks you in the eye they are really awkward it's really strange so they told us the first week they don't even teach just have conversations so my first week's going to be easy in that sense discipline maybe will be a little bit different kids have to wear masks in class just as much as teachers so that's there um I am I'm actually a little bit stoked because I don't want to have to deal with like I don't want to have you know when a kid comes in I'm not wearing a mask we're not to engage them we're to tell them to immediately go to the dean's office please leave go to the dean's office thanks have a good day it's the rules. If you can't wear your mask and you don't have a medical exemption and you're not going to wear it in class, please, it's no different than not wearing pants. You got to go. Go to the dean. So, and when parents come in, they can't be on campus without masks. So the people that are upset, that would be upset that their kid was not allowed to not wear a mask in class can't even come on campus to even be upset without putting a mask on. They can't get past school police. So like, hopefully we're going to be pretty insulated when it comes down to like that kind of stuff. Do we like masks? No, nobody does. I hate, I'm not teaching in a mask is going to suck. Because I'm animated. I make facial expressions. That's part of the stuff that I do. But at least for the time being here, we're one of the hottest spots and, you know, one of the highest rates of COVID with the Delta variant in the country right now. So 
we got to do what we got to do, but it'll be good to see our kids. But all this protocol into place and just how we're doing this is I'm vaccinated. I'm happy to say I'm vaccinated, but I am fully in the place where I'm like, I am expecting to get COVID. I know I've been co- season one of FIDS COVID Ninja was a success. I've got to the vaccination. I've made it this far. It's wonderful, but I can't, you know, you can't go to school and I haven't gotten sick since 2018. So I don't get sick a lot, but the kids get me sick. Like the kids get teachers sick. You have 30 kids in a classroom and they bring their germs. They show up whether they got a hundred degree temperature or not. Their parents send them to school when they're sick because they don't want to keep them home because they don't want to deal with them. At kid. And I'm not going to watch my kid at home. I can't stay home. You got to go to school. So they send their kids to school sick. Um, that's always been a teacher issue. Um, so now at least I hope there's a little bit more cognizance about sending your kids to school when they're not. Well, if they have the sniffles, keep them home. Especially with high school kids, though. They're 14. If you can't leave your kid home at 14 at this point, you got problems in a lot of different ways. Um, but so that we're starting that. So that should be interesting. But I am totally fully, I have fully come to grips with the realization that I will probably get COVID this year. I, I can't imagine not getting it. And the shutdowns are going to happen. Like, we're going to have a kid in my class. And if a kid in my class has COVID, he shows up to school. That's my 30 students in that class, plus me, plus all of my students from my eight other class or seven other classes, plus all the other classes. Students they've been in contact with. Yep. I mean, this is going to be, I mean, I have, I, I know that I need to be rested. I need to be prepared, but I am 100% like curious as well. Like, I hope everything doesn't get bad, but I am so curious how this is going to play out. Cause I have no idea. Nobody does. Nobody has an idea how this is going to play out. Not with this Delta variant. That's more contagious than chicken pox. It just doesn't, you know, breakthrough cases are going to happen. They're, they're minimal. And people aren't, we're not going to die from it. I mean, the chances of us dying, being vaccinated is almost null. But it's still going to be, it's just, I'm, I'm, I always, I have, I have kids that in my class that, I mean, that have serious issues, heart issues and, and, and kidney issues and organ issues that, that if they get sick, they're going to die. They can't. And so I'm terrified for them a little bit in that sense. And they're some of my better students. I love some, some of them are my most loyal and, and hardworking students, which goes to show like they obviously appreciate what they have when they have it. And, so it should be interesting, but uh, I know Chicago's going back in a couple weeks, I think, right? Yes. Uh, generally, the Chicago public school system uh, goes back right after Labor Day. Oh, that's a lot. Oh, much later. Yeah. Okay. Usually it was the Wednesday after Labor Day when when I was in school that we went back. But again, we would go till almost the end of June mm-hmm. where the Catholic schools would start up like August 20th, somewhere around there and be out early mid-June. So. You always had that period where in June, your friends who went to Catholic schools would be outside your school window laughing at you, <laughs> but you returned the favor in early August when you were outside their window laughing at them. Mm-hmm. And we did that here in Vegas or here in, in the CCSD where I'm at Clark County School District. They, um, we start, we, we moved our start date to August, beginning of August, August 9th for us, obviously, which is when we start tomorrow. And we did that specifically because people here in Vegas, August is kind of like crappy. It's hot. It's 114 degrees outside right now. I'd rather be in school in a AC in August and get out in mid-May, which is when we get out. We get out a week and a half before uh, Memorial Day weekend. So our kids, before we would get out like mid-June. So you've missed the nice time. It's You're immediately getting out of school when it's terrible outside and you're outside the whole time. It's terrible. Whereas now we end in the middle of May you get like a beautiful, the middle of May here in Vegas is gorgeous. It's perfect. So you get to at least enjoy a little bit of the nice weather before it turns into a face melt. 
So this year is going to be fun. I have a really, one of our close friends are getting married during spring break. So I'll be in Cabo again for the second straight year for spring break. Good for you. For their wedding. We just got their like invitation box. They're calling it the I Do Crew. So there's only going to be, I think like 14 of us going total. That's basically, that is the bridal party. And we'll all be staying in this big old, one of their clients, big old blue blue desert Cabo mansion thing for the, for the first part of the week. And then Carrie and I are going to get a hotel and stay so we can do our own little vacation. But it actually, we will be flying out there. The, the wedding rehearsal dinner is Friday night when I start spring break. So we'll get there Friday night or Friday afternoon, do the rehearsal dinner. Saturday is the wedding. Sunday is the shenanigans. And then Carrie and I will be on our own from like uh, Monday through Friday. And then we'll come back from Cabo at, at the end of spring break. So I don't have to miss any days of school. We get that Monday off. I don't know if, I don't know if the district Chicago do that, but we get the Monday after Easter off every year as well. So we get back usually good Friday off and that was it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we come back unless they planned spring break around Easter. Oh, see ours is always the week. So the Easter Sunday is the final day of spring break here. Usually Mm -hmm. now they added that extra day. So it's usually it's the Monday after. So that's whenever Easter is, that's when our spring break is. So Easter is always at the end of spring break. So that's how they measure it here. So like for us, we getting that extra day, but we'll travel back home on that Sunday or Saturday. And I'll have that extra day to kind of like, like kind of get my, this was great this year when we came back from Cabo. I had like two days to get myself back in gear before we had to, you know, come back in the classroom too, which was interesting. So that'll be fun. So but that, 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 that's our schedule for this, this school year though. So we got to, we don't get, we used to get Thanksgiving the whole week off. Now we don't. Um, but that used to, that's nice because for me with baseball, it was always my spring break. But now I'm not coaching this year. So I get regular spring break. Hey, but good for you. School starts, girls golf is starting, have our first meeting on Friday, and all of a sudden we're off and running, so this should be interesting, but I, you guys will hear me talk, I'll probably tell you some stories, here's my one little story, when as a teacher, you get your class roster, and this year we have to create seating charts before the kids come in, so we, after every single class, every day, I have to upload a seating chart with who was there, so they have like proximity, so for, for uh, case tracing or whatever, so I'm going through my class list, and I'm such a dork. I take kids, if, if you had a cool name, I'm sitting you near my desk. Like, I want I want the kids with the cooler names, right, like, within, I can, like, slap them with, like, a stapler if I wanted to. Because I just, I love kids with funny names. Especially, like, the first couple weeks of school. So, in my th- third period class, or fourth period class, I think, there's my freshman. I have two kids in this class, and you know they're sitting next to my desk. First kid, name's Neo. He's the one. Of course, he's going to sit next to my desk. I need him dodging bullets for me. But I'm going to sit him next to me, near me. But he's not going to be alone. Because the person that's sitting next to him, I'm happy to say, is Raiden, the god of thunder. So Neo and Raiden are sitting next to each other in my fourth period class or whatever it is. I have the one and I have the god of lightning and thunder to protect me in case. All you need is Loki, the god of mischief, and you'd be all set. If I get a Loki in my class, I'm not trusting that kid at all. Um, probably mischievous, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I, I play with the name. So that's how I do my seating chart, though. So I, I, I get a kick out of that. I'm gonna have Neo and Raiden sit next to me tomorrow when I see him. I'm like, hey, oh, <laughs> like you want the blue pill or the red pill? And uh, you, sir, finish him. So those jokes will be great. Those poor kids. I feel bad, but it's, it'll be nice to get back in there and just just jive with the kids too. I miss them a ton. Yeah, I love my kids. That's they're that's the one real thing missing from this whole shutdown. And this is one thing that'll be very nice is I'm, I don't have the Sunday scaries right now. It's 8 PM. We start tomorrow morning. I'll be up. I'll be at the school 
way earlier than I normally am. I'm going to get there at 6, like 30. I'm normally there at 6.45 because we start at 7, and that's when we're supposed to be there at 45. But I'll be there early tomorrow because the buses will be a, sh- a shit show and, you know, that whole situation. So you want to get there way ahead of time, and you don't want kids sitting outside of your class. They're going to have a bunch of crazy weird freshmen that their moms are going to want to hold their hands, sounds like. so. Um, but it's fun to get to see the kids again, and I'm, I'm really pumped. I don't have the scaries for that in any way, shape, or form. I have I have butterflies but it's the, I cannot wait to see some of these kids tomorrow. Cause they're going to be, some of these kids are, it's been two years almost. Some of these kids that I had as freshmen are juniors now. Well, all these, all the kids I had as freshmen are juniors now. Some of them were like five foot eight freshman little dorks when I saw them last. Some of them are gonna be like six, two added like 40 pounds. I'm be like, who are you? Who? Hey, Mr. Fiddler. I'm like, wait, weren't you that little guy? Oh my God. It, so that's going to be weird for me too, but it's, it's going to be nice for everybody to kind of get back to that. And those kids are my lifeline. I mean, I, I, I live and breathe those guys. Um, so for me as a teacher, it's nice to go back. It's, it's the risk we got to take, you know, the vaccination needs to do its job, how we do this, you know, with, you know, at least high school kids in our case are vaccinated, can be vaccinated. So if they're not vaccinated at this point, it's their parents that are choosing to not vaccinate them, whole other ball of wax, still got to wear the mask. So at least there'll be some, protection for us uh and from everybody in the class and it'll be an experiment so i'll keep you guys posted on how that goes uh we'll, we'll have a we'll have a check-in next sunday night i guess we'll see how the first week goes because next week i'll probably sound like this hey, welcome to the teeny club <laughs> i'm kfids and i'm going to <laughs> like i'll be out cold because it's it's exhaust this first week is brutal it's always exhausting so so i didn't drink this weekend <laughs> yeah uh just a, i just want to add a, a note uh, for my partner here, the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast is now moving to what the live the live podcast is now moving to Wednesdays instead of Thursdays, and they'll be later so, on in the evening as well. Because um, I've got coaching stuff too, so we'll be starting at probably like seven p.m. on Wednesday nights around Central Time. So just mark that in your calendar. If you've never joined the live version of that podcast. <laughs> or the live version of the 108 podcast, the comments section really adds a, takes it to a whole other level because in both podcasts, the guys will answer questions and try and work with the questions that are posed or it just might tell you to go F off. Yep. It happens frequently, actually. Uh, yeah. And then when we I get put comments in there. Generally, I'm told F off. Or random ass dudes pop on there like, what do you think of Justin Fields? Bruh. At what point does Pinwheels and Ivy have anything to do with NFL football? So that's like oh, the, the Bears our, used to play in Wrigley. That's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> There's always someone that jumps in there. What do you think about the Bears? Like, okay, okay. But just wait. Now they might be asking what you think about the Bulls. Right. All right. That's that's good news for the Bulls. That was nice. That was some big stuff coming. Although they're being investigated now for tampering. So. Go figure. Really? Because yeah. they signed someone one second after the free agent window opened? Between, Go figure. Yeah, that, and then there's another player that, there's another player acquisition. That, there's two of them. There's this one, the, the Bulls with Lonzo Ball, and then uh, I can't remember who the other one was. They're being investigated for tampering now. Maybe nothing, but who knows? With, I mean, and the NBA didn't care when LeBron was openly recruiting people from Miami. They, tampering didn't exist then. And and went on, went on ESPN and did a whole hour-long show about his choice. Yep. And I, I was in Colorado for that. What a joke that was. It was for the kids. F them kids. No. Um, so I don't know if you got anything else, man. It's I mean, this week's going to be a pretty interesting week. We are one week closer to the Bears opening up. They, the Bears will actually have played their first 
uh, preseason game by the next broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday at noon central time, the bears play uh, their first preseason game at on the shores of Lake Michigan. Uh, and and one would have to assume that Justin Fields is going to see the field quite a bit, along with Nick Foles and less probably Andy Dalton. I would think I would think with the three game preseason schedule, I would think that Andy Dalton sees the bulk of his work in game two. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Foles like maybe a series from from uh, Andy Dalton in game one, mm-hmm. and then a lot of Foles, and then maybe like the fourth quarter for Fields. Which sucks because Fields is obviously the, he's the number two, but I think they're yes. trying to, sh- they're trying to sell Foles as a trade piece, especially like with the uh, Colts who lost uh, Wentz for a little bit, which we suck for Carson Wentz. God dang it. He gets hurt in Philly. Foles comes in, wins the Super Bowl. And the MVP award. And the, MVP, <laughs> and the Super Bowl MVP. MVP. And then he goes, he goes ah, fresh start here in Indianapolis. I don't have to worry about this crap. I have surgery. Uh Oh, we need a backup. Oh, look, the Colts just traded for, Nick Foles, son of a bitch. Like, poor, poor Carson Wentz. But, oh well. I don't have to worry, we don't have to worry about it. For a little bit, Bears fans, we have yes. Justin's Field. Um, That's right. Who shops at the They're Jewels. Renamed Soldier Field. Right, who shops at the Jewels. And hey, I uh, was at the Jewels earlier today. <laughs> this should be fun. So we'll get some football. Things will start feeling like fall again. And then we start getting, I, I love fall. This is, you know, I love spring. And I love fall. Summer's great. I love summer too, but winter's rough. But I, I love, it's time for fantasy football drafts. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about that next week. Um, and, and those types of things too. So now we're getting, into, we're getting into some more content. But this is the time where Cubs fans and Sox fans, other than, you know, Summer of George, Unprotected Sox, and Ken W.O. can come together and mock those three as well as root together for one common good, which is the uh, Monsters of the Midway. The Bears. Bears. The Bears, 162. The Packers, minus two. (laughs) He just had another hard yak. Oh, that's just a piece of sausage lugged up in my esophagus. Oh, I love those sketches. The Bears, the Bears, the Bears. The The funniest was a a couple years ago when they did the... uh, the Peyton Manning show with the super fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did it right before that. It was right before the Packer game too. Yes, they did before the Thursday night Bears mm-hmm. Packers opener, <laughs> which I have to tell you was a phenomenal time tailgating and celebrating. And the pregame was phenomenal. Then the game started and it just went downhill from there. Yep. It showed sure it. And, I also have to do still do my I have to do my chug still. So as soon as we're done with this broadcast, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, do my chug. Which chug a beer. I, I wanted to get it a little bit closer to room temperature, so I had I had Carrie take it out of the fridge a couple minutes ago, so it's not like ice cold. I chugging an ice cold beer with bubbles burns. I'm sorry, and I don't want to pull an Aaron Rodgers, so I gotta get it. Done. I gotta get it done. But um, other than that, man, I mean, I, I would like to personally thank you guys for for joining us this week again. You guys, you know, again we're we're sitting at two and a half hours it's a long time if you want to chunk the podcast watch it a little bit listen to it a little bit at a time whatever um i enjoy this you know it's always enjoyable to talk and hang out with you pete but uh, thank you guys for tuning in um i appreciate and pete appreciates you know all the stuff Mm -hmm. that you know all the sports you got and we've noticed our numbers have been really good over the last probably six weeks they've been really showing some 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 increases so like our like the podcast um follow us give us some feedback you know download you know on, on itunes give us your review tell us what you like what you don't like tell us what to cut if you say that tell Philip to shut up 
that's some good advice. I think it's, I would take that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Pete would agree with that advice. In fact, um, but uh, that's <laughs> all I got. For, me to shut up. I'd say absolutely. <laughs> that's all I got from my end though. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a wonderful week and uh, on to you, Pete, you got some last words for us. I do. First, let me, you know, again, thank you to everyone who's listening because without you, we're nothing. So thank you for, very much for your time. Uh, it's more appreciated than you can ever imagine. And with that, I just want to say to everyone, Aloha.